0: Okay, praise the Lord. We're live one more time. It's good to have you all here at the Healing School at Grace International Church in Haltom City on this beautiful Saturday afternoon on December the 9th of the year 2000. Uh, I want to start out with a word of prayer. Uh, we're going to come before the King, and we're going to ask Him to bless what we're going to do today. Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of Jesus. I want to thank you and praise you, Lord, that you're the Savior, you're the healer, you're the deliverer, and you're the one that gives us the power to get wealth. So everything that we need comes from you. That's why you can say, I am the great I am. You are everything. You're whatever we need, and we want to worship you, Lord, and praise you. And thank you for this beautiful, magnificent, glorious day that you have made. We want to worship you because you're our Savior. We want to worship you because you're our healer. We just want to worship you, Lord, and praise you because you're all things. Lord, I ask you to do a great and mighty work here today. I ask you to speak through me by the power of the Holy Spirit that all the words that come forth from my mouth may bring glory and honor to Jesus. And Satan, I speak directly to you as a son of God, and I command you and all of your forces of darkness to leave this place and to get out and to not steal one word from anybody's mind or heart in this place today in the name of Jesus. Now, Father, I want to thank you for what you're going to do here today and for what you've already done for us in the past. In the name of Jesus, we praise you. Amen. Now then, today... Uh, We're going to talk about the title of the teaching today is going to be love. And the thing I want you to know, that without love, none of these magnificent things will work for you. Now, in the process of teaching God's love, there is one little thing here. I got this in an email the other day, and I want to read this to you before we really get started in the teaching. And I thought this was how true this is. Some of you may have already read this, but I've had several recalls on our some of our Ford vans and trucks lately from the Ford manufacturer. When I got this on an email, it says, Important Recall Notice. I thought, goodness gracious, I wonder what I've got another one. So I looked at it, and it says, The maker of all human beings is recalling all units manufactured. That's the way it started. Regardless of make or year due to the serious defect in the primary and central component of the heart. This is due to a malfunction in the original prototype unit code name Adam and Eve resulting in the reproduction of the same defect in all subsequent units. This defect has been technically termed subsequently internal non-morality or more commonly known as S-I-N sin as it is a primary sympathized by loss of moral judgment. Some other symptoms that go with this problem. Loss of direction. Foul vocal emissions. Amnesia of origin. Lack of peace and joy. Selfish or violent behavior. Depression or confusion in the mental component. Fearful and idolatry. All those are true, aren't they? The manufacturer who is neither liable or at fault for this defect is providing factory-authorized repair and service free of charge to correct this sin default. The number to call for the recall station in your area is P-R-A-Y-E-R. Pretty awesome, huh? Once connected, please upload your burden of sin by depressing... R E P E N T A N C E. Repentance. Next, download J E S U S into your heart. No matter how big or small the sin object or defect is, the Jesus Repair will replace it with love, joy, peace, long suffering gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Whoever put this together put some thought into this, didn't they? Please see operating manual, Holy Bible, for further details on the use of these fixes. Warning. Continue to operate the human unit without correction voids the manufacturer's warranty. Exposing owner to dangers and problems too numerous to list And will result in the human unit being permanently impounded for free emergency service. Call on Jesus. Let's see, then there's one other little thing on the back here that said, oh yeah, this was really good. Danger. The human units not receiving this recall action will have to be scrapped in the furnace. The sin defect must not enter heaven or else heaven will be infected. Is that pretty awesome? I don't know who came up with that, but I thought how awesome that is. Now then, to start out, some of the things I want you to know, and always we always have to know these things, many people don't understand what I'm going to tell you right now in the area of healing. Now then, when we go back to the Scriptures, we go back to the Scriptures and every church I've ever been a part of, if I don't care what pastor it is, I mean just almost any pastor in any mainline denominational church that I've been in, if you ask them, do you believe John or Joe or Susie or Jack or whatever, if they are so bad, I don't care what they've done, they've been living in sin, I don't care how bad it is, if they come down to the front and they ask Jesus Christ to forgive them and to come into their heart and be their Lord and be their Savior, do you believe the Lord will save that person every time? And what is most people's answer? Yes, we obviously believe that. If we didn't believe that, then if there was ever a case in the Word of God When Jesus refused to save anybody, then where would that leave you and me? Well, is it His will to save me? I don't know. I'd have to have a direct revelation from the Holy Spirit to be able to know that. But there's never a case in the Word. In fact, the Word clearly says, John 3.16... You know, which we've quoted so awesome. It is God's will to save everyone because He said He came to save the whole world. So, if He came to save the whole world and to pay the price for sin, there's no longer a sin problem left on the earth. There is only a sinner problem. So, once we get this message to the people and you begin to talk to people and tell them, it doesn't make any difference how bad they've been if they come to Jesus and ask Him to forgive them, and they were, really, were willing to repent and turn from their wicked ways and walk with the Lord, He will save everyone. Now then, what happens when a person comes to Jesus and asks Him to forgive them and come into their heart and be their Lord and be their Savior, and then within a week or two or three, they're already skipping church? I mean, now, you take somebody that's been in church all the time, brought in from the time they were just a young person, if they get saved at 8, 10, 11, 12, or 14, or whatever it is, usually pretty young, when they get saved, what's going to happen in that person's life? Usually, they will stay pretty close to the Lord. In other words, they wasn't very far away. If they had a good mother and a good mama they was bringing them to church all the time, they were you know, really not out there in the world anyway. So when they come to knowledge of Christ and they got saved, usually if you begin to teach them the word right, you don't see a drastic change. They keep coming to church. They, they don't have a problem. So they really had a transformation that took place. They're born again. And now then as they continue to renew their mind daily with the word of God, they'll walk, continue on that path. But lots of young people that get saved young, they get away from the Lord because they don't stay in the Word of God and their mothers and fathers don't keep them in the Word of God so the devil draws them off to the side now then they go off out there and they live outside of the, the kingdom of God for a while they come back repent the Lord forgives them and they come back in but for a while there they were outside of that but anytime anybody asks do you believe the Lord will bring you back He will receive you back always every preacher I've ever said will say yes but when it comes to healing, in other words, salvation. If somebody comes in to repent, if somebody's been away from the Lord for a while, and they come in and say, I, I, "I'm, you know, I'm sorry. I mean, I need to come home. I've been out there in the world, and I've really not been really that evil in bed, but I've not been going to church. I've not been tithing, but I want to come home and serve the Lord." If somebody comes down to the front and gets on their knees, if the pastor, if you happen to be in a church that does these things, if the pastor says, "Would some of y'all come down here and just..." cover these people with prayer and love and grace, what will happen? People will come down there and lay their hands on them or stand beside them and they'll pray and the love of God will just flow all around that little group right there. Sometimes it will be several of them that will come up there. And sure enough, the power and the love of God will flow into that person. But when it comes to healing, when it comes to healing, somebody says, Well, sister so-and-so is sick or brother so-and-so is sick. Do you believe God will heal him? Well, what does nearly every pastor say? If it's the Lord's will, maybe He'll heal you. You hear that all the time. But now let me tell you, folks, healing is God's will every time. I mean, back in those same words, if you go back into the Word of God, in fact, we're going to hit this just a little. We're going to go back in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. And I want you to see some of these things before we get into the the study of love. I want you to go to Isaiah 53 in your scriptures, and I want to show you what the prophet Isaiah said before Jesus even came to the earth, over 700 years before Christ came. I want you to see in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, I want you to see what the prophet said. Now, in Isaiah 53, 4, uh, in fact, I'll just uh, uh, read verse 3, 4, and 5 there. In verse 3 of Isaiah 53, it says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath bore our griefs. Now, that word right there in the Hebrew, the, the, real, the translation of that everywhere else in the Word of God is pain. But this one place, the translators translated this word, grief. But that word in the Hebrew, surely he has bore our pain. And some translations will say that. And he's carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Does your translation read something like that? Is that what yours says? Okay. If he paid the price for our iniquities, and with his stripes we are healed, then not only is your salvation in there, but your healing is in there. It's just a. He said that. Now then, I want you to turn from there to the New Testament, to Matthew, and I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 8. And I want to confirm to you that what the prophet Isaiah said, when Jesus came on the scene, this is what was said about him in Matthew chapter eight, verse sixteen and seventeen. In Matthew eight sixteen, it says, "When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils or demons." Actually, now that that translation in the uh, King James what I'm reading here devils there's only one devil but there's many demons but the translation there in the Greek is demons so but the, again the translators translated it devils but so anyway when the evening was come they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils or with demons and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick now, is that what your translation said? Something like, how many of the sick did He heal? All of them. That's right. There's not, never a case when you read the Word of God. There's never a case, never, and I've researched every word of this book, there's never a case in this book where Jesus didn't heal anybody that come to Him. Not one time. Now, He healed all that were sick. And look what it says in verse 17. That it might be fulfilled what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself, that's Jesus, He took our infirmities and bare or removed our sicknesses. Now, if Jesus... First thing He did there, you will see, what did He have to do to get these people in a state where He could heal them? He had to remove the demons. And how did He do that? With a word. That's exactly right. So, whenever a demon or a group of demons come upon us today, where is sickness and disease coming from? From Satan. You know, it's not coming from nowhere else. It's coming from the devil. Now then, if you don't think God wanted you healed, if you're walking even in obedience to God's Word, when you're walking in obedience to His Word, and if you're out there doing something... And you happen, as a lady, say you're cooking, and you happen to touch your uh, finger to a skillet, and it burns a piece of skin off of your hand, off of your finger where you touched it. I mean, man, that thing was hot, and your nervous system told you to jerk back, but it already seared the skin off there and burned it off of there. And what do you have to do for that to heal? Just keep it clean. Will it heal itself? Sure. Jesus put healing power in your body when he made you. He knew we were going to do devastating things to our body. Let's say, for instance, that also as a man or something, you're out here and you're working, you're doing something, you're cutting something and you slip with a pocket knife and cut a great big gash in your hand or your finger or something. Will that heal itself? Sure it will. Let's say if you really lay it open... You know, where you, I mean, in the world we live in today, where you think, well, I've got to go to the doctor and have four, five, six stitches in that to pull it together. If you do and keep it together like it, it heals faster, doesn't it? But it'll heal. Now, that's just the normal healing power that the Lord put in you. But now that when you get the devil involved, when you get the devil involved, the devil will come inside of you as a Christian. He will come inside of you and he will begin to aggravate the situation. He'll begin to put symptoms and pains on you, and guess what's the first thing most of us do the minute that something begins to come up on us and we start feeling some kind of symptoms that's not normal in our body? What's the first thing we do? That's absolutely right. Now then, if something like that begin to come up on you and you know this scripture, what did that say? What did Jesus in verse 17 of Matthew 8 himself or Jesus took? Let me read it to you like this. Jesus took Thurman's infirmities and bare Thurman's sicknesses. Now you put your name in there. If Jesus took your infirmities and bare or removed your sicknesses, then for goodness sakes, why are so many Christians sick? I might add the question is, if Jesus came to die for the sins of the whole world, why are so many people lost? You know why they're lost? Because you and me are not telling them in our workplace about Jesus. We're not telling them. We go through the course of the day. and In fact, uh, I would ask this question in here, but I'm not going to ask you to hold your hand up. But Jesus clearly told you just before, and me, told us just before he went back to heaven. He said, now I'm fixing to go back to heaven, guys. You go and preach the gospel. Anybody that will believe you and be baptized will be saved. Is that what he said? That's the last thing he said. Then let me ask you a question. Like I said, I don't want you to hold up your hand, but I want you to think about this. How many of you in the year 2000, which is nearly over, have led at least one person to Jesus this year? See. Okay. Now then, when you ask that question in the church, you know what the answer is to most people in the church? You know how many people? You know, I had been a Baptist deacon for, I guess, ten years. And you know how many people and I was teaching a Sunday school class for ten years. And you know how many people I'd led to Jesus? Zero. I was a normal Baptist. I was normal. <laughs> you know? I mean, but what was wrong with me? You know, yeah, I mean but I mean I'm teaching a Sunday school class, folks. I'm going to church every time the doors open. You know, I love God with all my heart. But I'm not getting anybody saved. I really don't realize what's going on out here. Although I'm teaching a Sunday school class, although I love the Lord, I'm in the church, me and my wife, every time the doors open we're in church. But do I know anything about this book? Not really. Although I'm teaching it for ten years. Ten years. I'm teaching this book and I'm taking that Southern Baptist information they send to me every month and I'm reading what that guy says about all that and i going back and I'm reading eight or ten or fifteen scriptures he put in there. And do I read very far beyond that? No. Do I learn anything? No. Do I learn anything that really changed my life? No. Very little. It's really kind of soft and spongy. It don't do you much good. But one day, I began to read this whole book. I began to read this thing like an owner's manual. And when I did, I began to realize, hey, I'm not doing what this book says I'm supposed to be doing. And when I made that commitment that year, I said, first thing you've got to do is you've got to take each one of these commands first that the Lord tells you to do. Number one, He says, go into the world and preach the gospel. Now then, if you're not doing that, you're never going to walk in the gifts of the Spirit, not in power. Because that's the first thing He told us to do, to go out and preach the gospel. So, if you'll start worshiping the Lord, praising Him, loving Him... Now, now, last month I taught on what causes God to do miracles... For those of you that wasn't here last month, you need to get the video and you need to listen to it because you want to know what causes God to do miracles. I've come to realize that about 99 and 9 tenths percent of the church that I'm associated with today don't know because most of them have never seen God do a miracle. A a Southern Baptist boy that that works for me, I'm and he's 40 he goes to church up here in Denton. He loves God. He tithes. He does everything. He's got his own little company, and, and, and he also works for me out at the airport. But had that boy ever seen a miracle? No. He came into my office the other day, and he said, Thurman, I need to take off tomorrow. i got to have a personal day. I said, what's, what's wrong? He said, my son has cracked his ankle, and he's walking on crutches, and i got to take him to the doctor. I said, well, why don't you take this book? and take it home and get your son healed and let Jesus heal your son instead of going to the doctor and trusting a doctor to do what Dr. Jesus said he would do. Well, he said, what do I need to do? I said, well, it's real simple. I said, I want you to, I'm going to write a scripture down for you and I want each one of you to go with me over to Mark chapter 16. I want to show you exactly what I told him to do. I said, now I want to show you what Jesus said just before He's getting ready to go back to heaven in Mark chapter 16, verse 18. We take one verse here. This is Jesus talking. Jesus, as we go over to Mark chapter 16, verse 18. Now, the first part of it there says, and they shall take up serpents, which that's demons. That's what that's talking about. That's not talking about snakes that you would handle on the ground. That word there means Satan or his demons, so we shall take up Satan, and if we drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt us at all. And you shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Now, is, did your Bible say that in the last line? You shall lay hands on the sick. So uh, his name was Ken, so you can say there. And Ken shall lay hands on his son, and he shall recover. I said, now I'll tell you what I want you to do. I said I want you to take this. Bible, I want you to go home, I want you to get your Bible, I want you to lay one in the hand of your son and one in the hand of your wife, and I want you to do what I'm telling you to do. First of all, I want you all to confess your sins and make sure you got all your sins confessed. And then I want you to worship the Lord and praise Him for a few minutes, and then I want you to thank Him, and then I want you to take this verse and I want you to reach over and say, now son, do you see what Jesus said right there? Honey, do you see what Jesus said right there? And if they say yes, then they're all in agreement with you. Do y'all believe that Jesus meant what he said when he said that? And if they all say yes, then I said, I want you to lay your hands on that boy's ankle. And I want to say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you for healing my son's ankle. Thank you, Lord. I praise you for it. He was off the next three days. But he came in that fourth day, and he walked in the office and said, Thurman, I'm telling you, I've got to tell you what happened. I said, what happened? He said, I went home, and I got the Bible down, and we did exactly what you told us to do. And my son was sitting there with a very severe pain in his ankle and said, when we, when we read these verses and we began to worship the Lord, and I reached over and laid my hand on his ankle after we all agreed... And I asked the Father, in the name of Jesus, to heal my son's ankle. And then I said, Lord, thank you, because it is written, it is done. He said, immediately my son said, Dad, my pain just went away. And he said, well, he said, Thurman said, when the pain went away, just put your foot down and start walking, show some faith. And said, the Lord healed you. So he said, walk off, son. He said, my son looked at me kind of strange, but he said, Dad, it don't hurt. He said, well, walk on it. Show God you mean business he said he laid the crutches down and got off and walked on he said Thurman he ain't had a pain he's been walking without them crutches ever since now isn't God awesome look at the promise what did he say but we don't believe him do we we really don't believe him we don't believe him but healing is ours every time now this is something else you, you've got to know about healing I want to go one more, one more step before we get into this love. I want you to go on from here to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. And I want you to see right after Hebrews and James, then go to 1 Peter. And when you get to 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 24, I want you to see this other promise. Now, this will be three places, actually four places that I've showed you that healing is always the Lord's will. But in 1 Peter 2.24, he he said, "...who his own self," talking about Jesus, "...bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness." Now, I'm going to stop right there at that comma, and I'm going to ask you this question. If Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness how many Christians should die to sin? all of us, that's right but do we? how many Christians you know that still sin? I know a bunch you know I know a bunch you know any Christians that still sin? of course why do they do that? Because they don't die to sin. Now, do we have that power within us? Yes, we do. If Jesus said it through the Apostle Peter, we could die to sin and live unto righteousness. Could we not? Of course we can. Now then, if we can do that, then that means you have a choice, right? You have a choice. You can do what God says. You can be obedient and die to sin. So, if somebody comes into your house and says, uh, Oh, Susie, uh, I've got a little deal down here. I know this is kind of uh, under the table, but this will make you $500. Nobody will ever know. You know, It's not really right, but it will make you 500 Nobody will ever know but you and me. Now, wh- what do you got to do? You got to make a choice. Are you going to step on the devil's side and take the $500 under the table? Are you going to say, no, the Lord says I'm supposed to live under righteousness. I'm supposed to die to sin. I'm sorry. I can't do that. Which choice are you going to make? A lot of us make the wrong ones, don't we? Do we? Does money talk? Even to Christians? You bet it does. Lots of them. What should we do? We should take the right road. We should say, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I'm a Christian. I'm a born-again Christian. And I've died to sin. And I'm living to righteousness. So don't ever don't ever try to that on me again because I want you to know that I'm a born-again Christian. Now, why does most people not go around saying that they're a born-again Christian? Because they realize the minute they start saying that, somebody's going to say, What do you mean talking about you're a Christian? I remember last year when you did this. Boy, they just slap you right in the face. They'll... They the devil will bring back every mistake you've ever made in the last hundred years. Won't he Tommy? He don't want you... Oh, he said, Oh, but you... Oh, I'm t- oh, you think about what you've done. And that's what he does to us. But you've got to come to some point somewhere in your life when you're going to say, Hey, the king said I should die to sin and live unto righteousness. So from this day forth, I'm going to do what the king says. It comes out to be a choice. And then on the last part of that verse, in verse 24, again, the Apostle Peter said, and by whose stripes you were healed. Does your Bible say that? If you were healed, if healing is yours, and you were healed, then why is it that one time you go pray for somebody, and you pray for that person, and... They get healed. Now, first of all, you've got to build their faith. In other words, if you don't believe that God heals you on the cross, and you don't believe that He paid the price in the atonement for your healing, and if you don't know it's beyond a shadow of God's will to heal you, then guess how many of you are going to be healed when you somebody prays for you? That's zero. That's exactly right. In other words, if I were to, if I were to preach in a church before a group of people... God is a great and awesome God. He'll save some of you some of the time. If you come down here, we'll petition God and see if He'll save you today. Now, if you've been a certain uh, kind of sinner, He probably ain't going to save you no way, form, or fashion. And immediately, what's the devil going to do to every one of them? You're one of those. You can't be saved. So, ain't no use nobody coming down here. But if you'll tell them, it don't make no difference who you are or what you've done. If you come down here and ask Jesus to forgive you, the blood in the atonement, it pays for all your sins, and He'll forgive you, and he'll make you the righteousness of God in Christ. And you tell him about Second Corinthians chapter five, he said, in fact, I'm not even counting your sins against you at this point. You know, so no matter what you've done, come down here, Jesus will forgive you and He'll make you a born-again Christian. and You can come into the kingdom of God. If you tell a worthless old sinner that and he gets a hold of that, he will I mean, even if it's a rotten old murderer in a prison, you can get him saved, can't you, Tommy? You can get him saved. Now then, if all you hear taught in the church, well, I don't know, God don't heal every time now. You know, I, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe some people God heals. But hey, if some people He heals and some people He don't heals, then who's going to be able to get healed? Nobody. But when you learn that healing was in the atonement and it was already paid for for you 2,000 years ago, it's appointed for you to walk in total, complete healing and deliverance and prosperity all the days of your life. When you really get that in your spirit... When you know that Jesus paid the price for your salvation and Jesus paid the price for your healing, then if you begin to get sick, guess who it is that's making you sick? The enemy, the devil. If the devil is the one that's making you sick, then you have to learn, how much authority do I have over the devil? And then when you pray, now it depends upon what kind of sickness and disease you have. And this is what blew me away for a lot of years. I did not understand this, why when I could go, and at first I knew I didn't have what I now call great faith. I had little faith. But the Lord says if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can command a mountain to move, and it will if you don't doubt. But he said that, that uh, mustard seed faith will become like the largest tree in the garden. So I've now realized what He meant. It took me years to learn what He meant. The first time I believed God and acted on His Word, and I acted on something... In fact, I'll tell you, years ago, the way I started out in the ministry, I started praying for people that had warts. Because a woman prayed for me when I was a teenage boy. I had warts all over my hands and arms. And a woman in our Baptist church, we went up to their house when I was about an 18 or 19-year-old boy, and that woman prayed for me, and within three or four weeks, every wart on my body disappeared. I was so amazed, because I'd been to the doctors, I'd had some of them burned off, i tried all kinds of stuff, nothing worked. But when we went back over to see this woman, I said, you know, I brought her a gift. She said, Thurman, you shouldn't have brought me a gift. I said, I didn't do that. I said, yes, you did. She said, no, I didn't. I said, Jesus did that for you. I said, Jesus I mean, here I'm 18, 19-year-old boy in a, in a Baptist church. I ain't never heard nobody talk about healing in my life. Of course, I didn't hear him talking about it for another 25 years either. But the thing about it is, when she said, oh, yeah, it's real simple, she said, I just prayed a prayer. In fact, she said, I'm going to tell you what the prayer is. And you know how simple that prayer was? This is what she told me to say. She said, Father, in the name of Jesus, let not the warts on Thurman Lee Scrivener's hands corrupt or corrode him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's all she said. How much simpler could you be than that? And guess what happened? They all came off. I thought I repeated that prayer 10,000 times. But did I ever act on it? Nope. Did I ever see a miracle? Nope. A few years ago, it's been, well, several years ago now, a young boy. Right over here in Louisville, Texas, one day I was over at his dad and mother's house when I was going to Lakeland Baptist Church, and he came in and had a great big old white thing on the back of his hand. And I said, Cliff, you know who I'm talking about, Cliff Hurley. When I said, Cliff, what is wrong with your hand? Oh, he said, Thurman, i got these big old warts here on the back of my hand. And I said, I can't get them to go away. He said, they just keep getting bigger. I said, well, how would you like for those to go away? He said, well, Thurman, I'd love for them to go away. I said, write your full name down for me on a piece of paper. See, why did I have her that? that? lady asked me to write my full name down on a piece of paper. I thought you had to do exactly like she did. You know, I didn't know. You know, lack of knowledge, right? So he wrote Clifton Wayne Hurley down on a piece of paper. And so I went home and I got on my knees and I prayed that prayer. And I thanked the Lord for taking those warts off of that boy's hand. About four or five weeks, my phone rang. He was screaming. He said, Thurman, he said, it's awesome. He said, you told me this war will go away. He said, it's gone. And I said, you don't mean it. How much faith did I have? Mustard seed size, right? I mean, I mean, how many of y'all ever been there? How many of you have ever had mustard side faith like me? All of us, right? <laughs> but guess what happened? It went away. I saw a little bitty miracle. I saw a great big, enormous, gigantic, magnificently awesome God take one little tiny wart off, and I'm blowed out of the water. Well, we continued to go along there, and then all of a sudden, I see another fellow one day with some warts, and I ask him if I can pray for him, and they go away, and I ask another one, and they went away, and then one day, my sister, she said, I, mean, I want you to come by school down here. She taught the third, I think, third grade or something like that, And she said, I've got a whole bunch of kids in my class that have got warts on their hands. I want you to come by here and pray for these kids. So I went down there in that schoolroom and walked up before all those kids. And I said, kids, I want you all to know, I come to this classroom in the name of Jesus. I said, now, Jesus is wonderful. I said, now, my sister here, which is your teacher, tells me some of you all have warts on your hands or on your body somewhere. I said, all of you have a wart. Would you hold up your hand? I'd like to come by. And I said, if you have a wart, I want you to write your full name down for me on a piece of paper. And so they did. And I went by and I looked at their warts and I felt of them. And I looked down at them and I said, it will go away, I guarantee, because Jesus does good work. Every one of those kids I told that to, I said, it will go away, I guarantee, because Jesus does good work. And I'm going to ask the Father in the name of Jesus to remove that wart off of your hand or your arm or or your face or wherever it was and there was six or eight children in that class that had warts and guess what happened to every wart on every kid they, everyone went away and when they did guess that did. Guess what that did to my mustard seed that was laying in the ground it busted out it was a little bitty green leaf isn't it amazing I've seen a, more than two or three answers to prayer now I mean taking one wart off the, the seed began to kind of move around down there in that soil Got a little water on it. It's moving. But when I see six or eight of them little things go away, whoa, that thing busts out of the ground. It's a little green leaf now. You know? Isn't that amazing how it works? And of course, the longer I went and the more I studied this word, and I begin to get back in this word. Every day I'm in this word. I'm in this word. I'm in this word. I'm reading this word. I'm beginning to see things in this book. I said, Lord, these promises are awesome. So I would go to some of my. Doctors of theology or whatever, when they would come visit our church or whatever, and I say, "How about this scripture?" Well, but Thurman, those things don't work anymore. I said, "What do you mean it don't work no more? Look, what did Jesus say?" It. Well, yeah, but those things were back in the days for the apostles. Uh, you mean you mean that don't work no more? No, that don't work no more. And guess what? That would do to my little blossom that's up there. It kind of wither it. And I think, what is this? You know? I mean, I'm getting dried up on one side. And, it, and so I, finally one day I just... I, I began to see the more and more of these promises. And I thought, Lord, you said it. So I'm, I'm going I'm to do it again. And so I prayed for people and different things. And I, the more I studied this book, the more of these promises I began to learn. Finally one day I said, Lord, I, I, I'm going to have to stop believing these people. I'm going to have to start believing this book. Now, this book says an entirely different thing than what I'm hearing in my church. Well, my church is teaching me a lot of this book, and they're telling me exactly what this book says. But there's a whole lot of this book that they don't touch on, Lord. And one of those areas is deliverance of demons and healing and prosperity. We don't want to talk about none of that in the Baptist church. I don't know why it is, because it's all over the book. So I said, Lord, I'm going to believe that you're going to allow me to do exactly what you said. I believe, first of all, that you said I could receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I'm going to ask you today to fill me with that mighty Holy Spirit and then give me the boldness to teach this mighty word. And then I'm going to ask you to do exactly what they did in Acts 4.29, whenever they... They ask you to give them the power and the boldness to speak this word. And then they ask you to confirm the teaching of the mighty word of God with healings and signs and miracles and wonders following the teaching of your word. See, when you learn to pray scripturally like they did and believe it, then you begin to go and say, Lord, it's going to work. I know it's going to work. So I started teaching it. And when I started teaching it, a little lady that was sitting there in a class one day, I'm teaching the first time, or maybe first or second time, wasn't long. When a girl said, You know, I never heard the Bible taught like this before. I, I believe that my mother, which is going in for a test for ulcers next week, I believe that if we prayed for her, because the Lord told us in in fact she quoted a scripture, she said, Matthew eighteen nineteen, she said, Thurman, I had never seen that promise. Matthew eighteen nineteen. You know, if if we didn't have another promise in the Word of God than just that one, Matthew eighteen nineteen clearly says Jesus speaking, he says, Again I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Now, is that an awesome promise? Who'd that come from? The King himself. Jesus said that. Now it comes down to a point. Are you going to believe the King? Or are you going to believe what somebody else says? So she said, if that verse is true, my mother can be healed. She said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. She said, if you'll agree with me, I'll agree with you. And we'll pray and we'll ask the Father in the name of Jesus to remove all the out of my mother. She said, she's going next Thursday. This is Sunday. We're in Sunday school. She said, I believe she can be healed. So we did. And when she believed she could be healed, guess what happened Thursday when her mother went in for the test? Wasn't nothing there. Totally healed. She'd had emulcers for Years. Years. Boy, the next Sunday, that girl was some kind of excited. Isn't that awesome? Starting to believe God's Word. Getting dangerous now. I mean, when you start believing this book, you know, you, you start to do damage to the devil's world out there. Because he's the one that's come to put all this in you. So we begin to see these great and awesome things. And then I begin to pray for people. And my faith, I mean, that, that little mustard seed down there, that thing, become a stalk. You know, it's no longer a little bitty green blossom down there. That thing is a stalk, and it's growing. And as the more of this Word I see, and the more I would go, and the more shoots come off of that stalk, and then I'd go pray for somebody, and I'd see somebody literally raised up off of a deathbed and healed. And I, boy, I mean, I'd get another great big branch in a hurry out there on that thing. And then I'd go pray for somebody, and nothing happened. And I'd pray for him again. And I didn't see any change. And I wondered why. But now I've learned there's a whole lot of reasons why. Now I've learned that there is four different types of evil spirits that we fight against. Ephesians chapter 6 says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But in Ephesians six twelve, the Scripture says we wrestle with principalities with powers, with rulers of darkness, and spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. And then, of course, Satan is in charge of all of that. If you get a little principality, it's pretty easy to fight the battle. You get a little principality, a little minor demon, he's not very strong. You get a hold of one of them, and if your faith is great, You don't even have to be great to kick one of them out. In fact, one of these videos I've got here that I'll give you all that don't have one is about these testimonies. A young man, in fact, I'm going to have him and his wife and his daughter on Daystar next Friday afternoon from 5.30 to 6.30. We're going to give their testimony over Daystar television on the Tentmaker program from 5.30 to 6.30. You'll literally get to see them, but if you'll take a copy of this video, I've got six different people with nine different miracles that happened to them on this video I brought in on this testimony. So, I'm beginning to film more and more of these things so you actually see these people. But this man's daughter had a spirit of infirmity in her feet and they were bleeding her toenails were coming off and everything else and I told him it was a demon. Now, they had prayed and prayed and prayed for her healing but nothing happened. See, now you wonder what's wrong? You pray one person, you come in and you pray for a healing, and they're instantly healed. Or, or just maybe in a day or two. You know, and you say, boy, this is awesome. You know, got a great big old sore on her hands, been sore for a month. And you go in there and you lay hands on and pray for them, and, and the next morning or the day after the next, somebody comes running there screaming and says, look, Thurman, not even a scar, not even a scab or nothing. That's a miracle healing. But if it couldn't get well, if it was healed in a week, it was still a healing. But if you pray for somebody and you pray for somebody like this little girl... And her dad and her mother had prayed for her and prayed for her and prayed for, her and, prayed for her and took her to the doctor and everything else. And nothing happened. Nothing. Now, well, I had learned five years ago that if you pray for somebody and nothing happens at all, then you've got a demon. So you can't pray a demon out. You have to cast him out in the name of Jesus. And I've learned now that most of these things, sickness and disease and cancers and all these things, are demons. It's not just sickness; it's demonic spirits. So I told this young man, I said, "That's a spirit of infirmity. Come in." I said, "That's a spirit of infirmity." I said, "You go home and you cast this demon out of your little daughter." Now, what do you? How do you think that would impact you as a Baptist? Uh, in fact, he's a deacon. Come in, or shouldn't sit down. If you are a Baptist deacon or a Baptist Sunday school teacher, and you've never heard your preacher even talk about demons. And another deacon in a church tells you, Oh, that's no problem. Said, your daughter, the reason she can't get healed, she just got a demon, a spirit of infirmity. Just go home and take Mark t- I mean Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20 and read those two scriptures and cast that demon out of your baby. Now, h- how would you receive that probably? Thurman. don't you know I'm a Christian? My little daughter, she's a new little Christian. Don't you know a Christian can't have a demon? Have you ever heard that? Yeah. If you've been in church very long, you've heard that. I mean, you may even be in a church that don't even talk about demons at all. They may not even say a Christian can't have a demon. They may not even know they are demons. So that may be where you are. I don't know. That's where I was for many years. But this young man went home that night and absolutely tucked those two verses in Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20 and cast a demon, something he couldn't see, now, this little girl, you've got to remember, her toenails are split. Her little one's about to come plumb off. It's just sitting on there. And her toes are eat up so bad underneath that they can't get her socks off her at night without soaking her feet in warm water. That's how bad she is. And that night at 10 o'clock, her daddy goes in and gets her out of bed, and the mother and her, and he says, In the name of Jesus, I command you, spirit of infirmity, to come out of my daughter. Now then, you've got to leave because Jesus said I had authority over you because it's written in Luke 10:20, You have to be subject to me. I command you to come out of my baby in Jesus' name. He said, Now, Father, we take uh, Matthew 18:19, the prayer of agreement, and we ask the Holy Spirit to come in and heal and restore everything. The devil's messed up in my baby's feet. And they put her back to bed after 10 o'clock that night. And the next morning, 7 o'clock, when he goes in and wakes up that little girl... And they jerked the cover off of her and looked down and her toenails. There's no cracked toenails. There's no loose toenails. There's no blood around the edge. There's no, no scars or nothing under her feet. They looked like brand new perfect feet. What would you say that was? A miracle. That's right. That's a miracle healing. Yep. When you do that and when they saw that, guess what that done to his seed? It shot out of the ground. He got a little bitty seed come out of the ground. And he's, he's got another testimony on there too. An awesome testimony. But if you've never been taught these things and you don't understand this, you don't understand that there's demons out there that are making us sick and afflicting us, then when you pray for somebody, guess what we do? Well, it must not be God's will to heal that one. Is that the way we get, a, get around it? Sure. That's what we always say. Well, it must not be God's will to heal you because I prayed for you and nothing happened. Well, you've got several problems there. First of all, you don't want nobody to pray for you that don't know that God God's, wants to heal you every time. Because they can't pray in faith if they don't know that. First thing you want to know is, do you believe God's going to heal me? Do you believe He can heal me? He really will. That He will. That's right. If you if you don't know that, you might as well get way Because the Lord said the prayer of faith will make the sick person well. And if you don't know it's God's will to heal, you can't pray the prayer of faith. And that's why you have to do so much teaching. That's why before I pray with people in a hospital, usually I'll spend anywhere from two to five hours teaching them the Word of God before I pray for them. You know what I want to hear? When I read scriptures and I start talking to them and showing them these things, this is what I'm looking for. Eyes to light up and look at me and say, I don't have to have this disease if Jesus took it away, do I? I said, that's right. That's what I'm waiting for. And when they get that in their spirit, guess what you can do now? They can fight that battle with you. Now then, here's the next thing that happens when you pray for somebody. When you cast out a demon and you pray, and they're instantly healed, and they get up out of that bed and walk off, guess what everybody says?
1: Wow!
0: That's awesome! Now then, God will do that for you. And I've seen many of those. But what if that person is not able to get up off that bed? And what if that person continues to get worse? Was it God's will to heal that person? Mm -hmm. Yes. Why did they not get healed? Or you didn't have a principality. You had a power or a ruler of darkness... Are a spiritual wickedness in there that was fighting against you. If you didn't get it done the first time you commanded it to leave, are you going to give up? What does most people do? They give up. They say, well, it wasn't God's will to heal you. No. We need to stay with it. We need to fight the battle every day. Continue to stay with it. If it's God's will to heal every person every time, if you don't get instantly healed, you can be, do like John Lake did. I was reading a story about John Lake one time. He said his son, years ago, back in the early 1900s, the doctor called him and said, your son has typhoid fever. Now, what kind of cure is there for, for typhoid fever? None. John Lake goes over there at that hospital. And he gets in there, and he casts a demon out of his son. Now, this boy is a spirit-filled, blood-washed son of God. But he's laying in that hospital with typhoid fever. That's the diagnosis. And he goes in there, and he casts that demon of hell out of his son, speaks the healing power of Jesus. And in five minutes, that boy is totally healed. And they get up the next day and leave that hospital. Doctors can't understand. He's totally healed for three months. Three months, the doctor calls him again and said, John, said your son is back in here, and he is worse than he ever was. He's got typhoid in the final stages. And what does most people do? They say, oh, he really didn't get healed last time. It was just a state of man or something. No, he had a more powerful demon come back in and the devil said, I'm going to show you, I'm going to kill your son, John. I'm going to get him. You know what John Lake did? He went over there and knelt down beside that bed and he gritted his teeth and he said, devil, you better give it your best shot because greater is he that's in me than than the devil that's in him and I'm casting you out. And he sat there beside that bed on his knees and he commanded that demon of hell to leave his son and prayed the healing power of Jesus over his son for one hour, for two hours, for eight hours. Now, how many of you are going to stay? Twelve hours. Twenty-four hours. Forty-eight hours. Three days. Four days. Five days. How many of you got that kind of staying power? And the devil's killing that boy. But at the end of the fifth day, He's still there saying, You're not going to have him, you devil. Jesus healed him on the cross. It's in the atonement. What is it you don't understand that I have authority over you and you have to leave me in the name of Jesus? And the fifth day, it snapped, and that boy was instantly healed, and he never had another problem the rest of his life with typhoid fever. What was he doing? He was wrestling against a demon. How many people do you know that's willing to stay with it like that? See, we think we ought to pray for somebody one time, and everybody ought to be healed with one simple little prayer. And when we do that, if they get healed, man, that's a praise the Lord. But since it's God's will to heal every human being, just like it is to save every human being, does everybody you know that come down to the front that got saved, did they all stay with God and never change and walk holy before the Lord the rest of their life? (laughs) No, not many that I know. So what do you have to continually do? You have to do what the Scripture says. You have to renew their mind daily with the Word of God. And as you renew their mind daily with the Word of God, if they will listen to God's Word and you can beat it into them day in and day out, guess what will happen? I can tell you this young fellow right over here, which is my nephew sitting on the front. We prayed for him for years, and finally my sister bought a set of tapes of the New Testament and gave them to his wife, and one day, going back and forth to school, he thought, well, I'll just listen to the New Testament on tape. So he plugged one in and started to listen to it on the way to school. He's now hearing God's Word. I mean, guess what began to happen in him? He is renewing himself daily. He's a school teacher. He's running a little farm and teaching school And all of a sudden, after he gets through this thing about two or three times, he says, man, I've learned things I didn't know was in this book. Guess what he's doing now? He's a preacher. (laughs) You see what I'm telling you? What will the Word of God do to you, Tommy? he make a preacher out of you, right? He's still teaching school, but he's a preacher also. He's preaching the Word of God. And he's changing people's lives down there where he's teaching. But see, I can remember back when he said, You know, Thurman, I didn't know all them things was in there. Woo! He'd call me and i said, What about this? I never knew this was in there. Wow, I don't understand this. What about this? Isn't that awesome? When you start reading this book and listening to it and getting into it and listening to it over and over and over, what begins to happen? The word gets in you and it changes your life, doesn't it, Ricky? And others, yes, many people. And then, of course, down there in that high school where he's teaching, there's so many demons down there and how he understands what they are. And whenever, in fact, I'm not sure I'll tell this story right, but I think they're here a while back. He was telling about some boy or girl that a demon controlled, and I believe that kid went completely prostrate in the air and then fell down on the ground and hit the ground and jumped right up and stood straight up and nobody could understand. He said, it's simple. She just got a demon. (laughs) You see? But when you understand that demons do terrible things to our physical bodies, when you go back and read the Scripture, where did He learn these things? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's where you learn what demons are and what they do to people. As Jesus walked across this country, what did He do First, he cast out the demons with a word and then healed all the sick every time. Now then, we have been so lied to in the church today because we don't believe a Christian, me, a blood-bought, blood-washed, holy ghost-filled man of God could possibly have a demon living in my body? Yes, sir. In fact, I can't even guarantee you that I'm 100% clean right now. I can't guarantee you that. I don't know that. But I thought I was clean. I went through deliverance and everything else. And here's oh, 12 or 14 years ago now, whatever it was. The Lord Jesus Himself, one night sitting there studying the Word of God, and I believe it's Luke 11:13, where the woman had the spirit of infirmity, Lo, these 18 years ought she not be delivered on this the Sabbath day. And when I read that, the Lord spoke to me and said, Son, you got one of them living in your body. Now, how do you think that struck me? Mm, I mean, Lord, Lord, don't you know I'm a, I'm a son of God? I mean, can you imagine a stupid statement like that? Lord, don't you know that I'm a... <laughs> and he knows everything. I know none of y'all ever made any statements like that to the Lord but me. Lord, don't you know I'm a son of God? Don't you know I'm filled by the Holy Spirit? Don't you know, Lord, I can't possibly have a demon? What do you mean i got a demon living in my body, a spirit of infirmity? Well, then, Lord, what is it? And he told me. And I cast that thing out of me, and a sickness or an infirmity that I'd had that had been dragging along with me for 40-plus years, I didn't realize it was a demon. I just thought it was a fungus. And I was healed. And I've never had that problem again. Now, isn't that amazing? Now, if a Holy Ghost-filled man of God... That's teaching the Word, casting out demons, healing the sick, and everything else in the name of Jesus. If I can have a demon, guess who can have a demon? Any of you can have a demon. In fact, if you've got any kind of sickness and disease, and you're not walking in complete divine health, you've got a demon. That's what's tormenting you. That's what's doing it to you. Now then, if it's God's will to heal every one of us every time, and we've got these... Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies, because we don't receive the full manifestation of our healing in five minutes, does that mean it's not God's will to heal you? No. See, we've got a perfect case of this sitting right back here on the back row today Jane and Fred Cooley. Now, Jane, nearly two years ago, was virtually instantly healed from 12 years of heart problems. And emphysema. But three months later, she had a counterattack, too, when the devil came back. And still, periodically, he tries to come back and put thoughts, doubts in her mind that she's been healed. She's been healed two years nearly now. February will be two years. But her husband, Fred, had underwent an attack just recently and still encountering this. The devil come into him and has attacked him and put cancer in his intestines and everything. And we have prayed, we've taken with it, and we're going to win this battle, aren't we, Fred? Guarantee it, because we know it's God's will to heal him. And every time I call him and talk to him to pray with him or talk to him or whatever I do, guess what? The first words come out of his mouth. I say, Fred, how are you doing? He said, I ain't never been so good. Praise God, I'm healed. Now then, if the Word of God says you're healed, is He doing it right? Yes, He is. Yes, He is. Now, He's going to remain faithful. He knows it's God's will to heal. Because, I don't know how many years ago, back I think think He said back in the 70s, He had a spot come up on His chest. And just almost overnight, that thing got that big. And within a matter of a little while, the doctors looked at it and said, We're going to have to take a football-sized piece out of your chest. And his wife and some other ladies that come together and prayed and I mean really prayed and stayed on God's doorstep and a few days later when they wheeled him in to do the surgery on him he said, Doc, you've got to look at this the Lord's healed me. This thing is all completely gone down to a flesh color. It's completely gone. And, and when that doctor takes him in there when he comes out of surgery he's got a little bitty four by four patch over where they just made a little cut in there and it was virtually nothing. Now, what made the change? His wife and that group of ladies, they came against that demon of hell, and they stayed on God's doorstep and prayed, and the Lord healed her husband. Now, you've got to know it's God's will to heal you every time. You've got to know that. But I'm going to show you today where there is some requirements that you must do to make this work. Now, then, I'm just going to tell you up front what those things are, so you'll be thinking about those things. Number one, you need to be a born again Christian filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing. And then number two is you need to be an obedient Christian, you need to be studying God's Word. You need to be walking in this love relationship we're going to be talking about here in a minute. You need to be going to church. You need to be worshiping the Lord. You need to be tithing. Everything the Lord told you to do in this book, you need to be doing. Now, most people, not all, but most people that I minister to, like this one lady the other night I went to minister to. And I said, ma'am, first thing I've got to know is do you have any faith or do you even know what the word is? And she said, I have great faith, Armin. I, I have lots of people tell me this. I asked this question to lots of people. And I said, well, give me your favorite verse. And guess what? She couldn't tell me her favorite verse. Now then, if if this book, if knowing this book is absolutely imperative to have faith and to know what it says, if you can't quote me one favorite scripture, guess how much faith you have? None. You don't have great faith. You have none. In other words, without this book, you cannot receive your healing. Because the Lord clearly told us in Psalms 107, verse 20, I sent forth my word and healed them. It's God's Word that heals. I'm going to tell you that if you're not even anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, you don't have to be anointed with the Holy Ghost and power. You can take this book and you can go, if you're anybody that's a believer in Jesus, if you'll learn the right scriptures out of this book, you can go and sit down beside a bedside for anywhere from probably two to five hours with anybody that's a born again Christian, And if you'll let me show you the verses, and you'll believe them, and you'll lock these in your heart where you can spend from two to five hours going through this book without having to look at a set of notes every one minute. So you've got enough of those locked in your heart. I'll tell you, God will honor your faith to go, and he will heal everybody you go minister to. And when you start out, some of them will be easy. He'll make it easy for you at first. And then later on, you're going to run into some demons out there. He's going to let you... you know, why does the Lord allow that to happen? Sure. On that little, on that little mustard seed He gives you out there, when you go out there and you pray for the first one or two and you begin to believe Him, and you go out there and lay hands on somebody, and somebody gets healed, what does that do to that little seed? Man, that burger comes up. I'm going to tell you, the other day when I went down there to Dallas and prayed over that man that's comatose, and the Catholic priest had been there and said his last rites over him, and the doctor standing there telling that lady... I'm sorry. His kidneys are now failing. We'll try to keep him as comfortable as we can. And I walked up beside him. I first got her. I said, Would you confess your sins? Because she was a Methodist and she had not done that in a long time. I asked her if she'd be willing to confess her sins. She said, Well, like what sin? I said, Have you taken the Lord's name in vain lately? And she said, Well, unfortunately I have. I said, Would you be willing to ask him to forgive you for that? And she said, Yes, I would. I said, And while you're... Telling him you're sorry that you took his name in vain. Anything else that comes to your mind, tell him you're sorry for that too. And so, repentance. And so, she repented. And, and as she did, I said, now then, we got that done. I said, now then, let me show you what we can do. And I went over there, and I took that magnificent promise in Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, where Jesus said, And these signs shall follow those that believe. In my name, you shall cast out demons. You reckon he meant what he said? I believe he does. So I went over there. Now, see, this is, what, this is where it takes faith to do these things because you've got to know the Word and you've got to believe it. Could I see that demon? No, but could I see what he's doing to that man? Laying there comatose? Yeah, I could see what that demon's doing to that man. So I just walked up there. He's on a kind of a high bed, and I bent down like this, and I said, Harold, I know you can't hear me. But I said, that demon of hell in you can hear me. And I said, your spirit can hear me. So I said, I want you to know I'm going to do what God's Word says. I said, Satan, you demon of hell, I command this spirit of infirmity that's killing Harold to come out of him and go back to the pit of hell and stay there in Jesus' name. I said, now, Father, you told me in the last line of that verse 18 to lay my hands on the sick and they will get well. And I reached up and laid my hands on, on, I said, Lord, i got both hands on his right arm so he's healed because it's written. And I stood up and said, ma'am, he'll get well. I guarantee it. I turned and walked off. She called me 30 days later and said, Thurman, we're releasing Harold from the hospital today. He's going home. Now, what does that do for my little mustard seed? Another shoot jumped out there, Tommy. Another little shoot. The Word of God works. Doesn't it? How many of you have ever done that? Now, then some people say, But Thurman, I've never even had a desire to go do nothing like that. Then you know what I'm going to tell you? I'm going to tell you, first of all, you ain't worshiping the Lord. You ain't praising Him. You're not in this book. If you're in this book and you're studying this book and you're worshiping the Lord and you're praising the Lord, He's going to put that Word in you and the Holy Spirit is going to take control of you and you can't keep it in you. It's got to come out. Right, Ricky? That's what began to happen to him. As he began to listen to the Word of God over and over and over, man, it began to come out. And in a little Baptist church he was in, man, first thing you know, he's talking to people. He's teaching a Sunday school class, he's doing all kinds of things. And next thing a little church over needs a preacher, they ask him to come over and preach. And man, the rest of it's history. But what happens when you get this book in you? When you begin to get these promises in you, it changes you. And then people will say, But now, but Thurman, I know there's a lot of promises in this book, but maybe they're not yes for me. Well, Maybe they're not yes for you. And that means we need to find a scripture somewhere that says God's promises are yes for me, right? Well, let's flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And let's see what kind of a promise the Lord told us there through the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want you, as you turn over there to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I want you to look at this. When you get over there, you've got to know that God's promises are yes for you. Now, there's hundreds of promises in God's Word. Hundreds of them. Healing is in the atonement. Healing is for everybody. The Lord told us to go. He told us in Matthew 18:19 of the prayer of agreement, anything we ask Him for, it'll be done for us. He told us in Mark 11, 23, and 24, if we have faith, we can speak to a mountain and command it to jump into the sea. And if we have no doubt, it'll do it. And then in verse 24, So, so therefore, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you received it and you shall have it. Awesome promises. Then He tells us in Mark 16:17 and 18 to cast out the demons, lay hands on the sick, and they will get well. Every time, He says. Then He goes over to James chapter 5 verses 14, 15 and 16 and he says is any sick among you let them call for the elders of the church have them pray over them and anoint them with oil and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well if your sickness is due to a sin i will forgive the sin and the lord will raise you up those are pretty awesome promises aren't they but now what if that promise is not yes for me what if it's not Okay, then i got to find me a verse that says every time God's promises are yes. So, then we turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, 19, and 20. And verse 18 says, But as God is true, our word toward you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Salvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him Jesus was yes. Verse 20, For all the promises of God in Christ are yes and in him, amen, unto the glory of God. So how, how many of the times is God's promise is yes? All the, time. All the time. So now then, can we have faith to fight this battle we're going to have to fight? Yes, we can. Because we know it's God's will to save every person every time. We know it's God's will to heal every person every time. We know it's God's will to deliver every person every time. If that's the case, then why is it that so many people in the church are living in sickness and disease and under the affluent, under the demonic spirits? Because most of us don't know what's ours. Right, Orsha? Most of us don't know. You have to learn what is yours. And then there's also some other requirements. So now we're going to get down to the actual message today that I'm going to teach you, and that is the God kind of love. Now, this is what makes all these things work. This is where you have to walk if you want all these things to work. Like I told you a while ago, first of all, most people will never tell you this in a church. But I'm going to tell you that if you're not obedient, if you're a daughter of the king, a son or a daughter, if you're not obedient and you're not worshiping the Lord joyfully on a regular basis, the devil is going to come by your house, and he's going to put sickness and disease or cancer or something on you. Now then, you may be worshiping the Lord, and it may still happen to you. But I'm going to tell you what. If you're worshiping Him... You're going to church, you're praising Him, you're tithing, and you're doing everything the Lord says. The Lord says, I will send my angels and give them charge over you, and no plague shall come near your house. He made you that promise. He said, I will take all sickness and disease away from you. So if you know all these things, and you're walking in obedience to His Word, and you're doing what He says... If you're doing everything... And then the devil comes in and slips in on you and starts to put something upon you. All you've got to do is have the knowledge of what's yours and you take authority over him and you kick him out in the name of Jesus and guess what's going to happen to the devil and guess what's going to happen to your sickness? It's going to go away just like that. Now, that's another reason that so many times... Well, I've told this story about Jane lots of times. But whenever I prayed for this woman nearly two years ago... This woman was so in love with the Savior. And she spent so much time in this book. When I went to their house two years ago and she opened her Bible, everywhere she opened her Bible, this thing is wore out. I mean, there's marks and underlines all over this book. There's only one thing she didn't know. She didn't know really who the enemy was and that what was rightfully hers. But after three or four hours of teaching that night, she locked onto it with such fervor that when we prayed for her, guess what happened? She was miraculously healed from two problems, a heart problem for 12 years, an emphysema all those years, and two years now she's walked in divine health. But her husband living in the same house, studies God's Word, used to go to prisons, used to do all these things. Led, I don't know, you've led thousands of people to Jesus, had not you, Fred? But the devil come by his house just recently and put cancer on him. We have fought a tremendous battle in that thing. But guess what we're going to be? We're going to be the winner. Amen. But now, just because he didn't get a miraculous healing the first time, guess what? If you don't give up. That's when the Lord made you an awesome promise. He said, if you do not give up, at the proper time, you will reap your harvest. See, that's the part... Galatians 6:19, I believe. Let me turn over and make sure. I don't want to tell you Galatians. Sometimes I make those statements, and then uh, somebody asks me where that scripture is. And let's see if that's where that is. Nope, it can't be. Maybe it's 5:19. Let's see. No, there ain't no 5:19. Where is that? Let me think. That's, that's not in Corinthians. It's in Galatians.
2: In the parable of the sower, he, he, he talks about
0: that. But there, it's in one of these others, too. I can't right now. I don't know. I've read that so many times. But it's in one of the epistles where the Lord told us that if you do not grow weary in doing good at the proper time. Where's that at? That's not a
2: way there for your confidence which have great recompense reward
0: but that's thirty four and 35 in Hebrews uh, chapter what 10, 10 30. yeah Hebrews ten thirty four and thirty five that's that's a good one that's uh, that's not the one I was thinking about that other one I know is in Galatians but in Hebrews 10 in fact uh, what Oh Galatians 6 nine okay. We'll go to that Hebrews 10. Okay, Galatians six 6:9. Instead of 6:19, it's Galatians 6:9. Okay, Galatians 6:9. Let's go over there and read that right quick while we're here. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And ye masters, do the same thing unto them, forbearing threatenings, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Uh, neither is there no. That's not it. Go, oh, I'm in Ephesians. Excuse me. I can't even get in the right place. I'm one page too far, over, a couple pages too far over. There it is, in uh, six nine. Thank you, Jane. And let us not be weary in doing well, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. In other words, if you don't give up, the victory is yours. Now, what kind of, how much of a difficulty is it to stand in faith? and believe God is a healer when every time you look at your stomach it's getting bigger with a tumor. What kind of faith does it take to a man or a woman to fight that battle and trust God to heal him? Great faith. That's right. Great faith. Right, Fred? But Fred, Fred's has gone from humongous to much smaller. The other day it was much smaller. But he's fighting that battle. But we're going to continue and we're going to pray for him again today. In fact, before we leave here today, we're going to cast that demon. We're going to lay hands on him. We're going to command that devil of hell to leave him. And we're going to speak the healing power of Jesus in him because Jesus is a healer. When I learned this, I never give up. Never. Never. Yes, sir. Oh, just one second. Yep. Um, do Do we have any, any
2: um... example of Jesus ever um, having to um, wait for, some, for the manifestation of healing to actually take place. That, that's my first question. And my second question in, is uh, when Paul said in Romans 7, I think, you know, the things I want to do I don't do, and the things I don't want to do I do anyway. And, and when you touched on sin, I'm in total agreement with everything you said, but I would like to ask you to comment on that if you would, please.
0: Absolutely. There is some some examples. First of all, when Jesus prayed... There are several. First of all, when Jesus prayed for the man, or put the mud on... Or not the mud, but when he prayed for the man's eyes, he said, What do you see? He commanded his eyes to open. He said, What do you see? The man said, Well, I I, I see people, but they look like trees. And he laid his hands on him and prayed for him again. He said, Now I see clearly. And when he prayed for the group of lepers one time. He says, "...now go and show the priest what has happened." And it says, "...as they went, they were healed." Another time when he put mud on the man's eyes that was blind, he'd done a creative miracle. The man had been born blind, had no eyes. He put spit and mud on the man's eyes and told him to go wash in the pool of Bethesda. And when he went to wash, as he washed his eyes and was obedient to God's Word... When he got the mud washed off, he was healed there. But that was a little bit later. Then whenever he come to the demons in Gadara, when Jesus come into the demons in Gadara, Jesus himself anointed with the Holy Spirit and power without measure, he commanded those demons to come out of that man, and they did not come out. He said, what is your name? And he said, our name is Legion, for we are many. He said, come out. And they said, if we have to come out, let us go into the hogs. Are they, be, are they even resisting Jesus? Yes, they are. They're resisting Him. But He is anointed with the Holy Ghost and power. And finally, He continues. And they said, okay, if we have to come out, let us go into the hogs. He said, go! And those demons came out, and at least 2,000 hogs, the Scripture says... And demons came out because a legion was 6,000 in that day and age. And those demons went into those 2,000 hogs. And all 2,000 hogs ran into the sea and were drowned. Now, how could one man or two men, there was actually two there. One scripture talks about one, but one of the others talks about two of them. So, there was two men there and these demons, which was a legion of demons inside of a human being... I've come to realize that many times demons run in herds just like the mafia. Very rarely will you find one demon. Usually you'll see a multitude. But there's many times. Now then, if Jesus, which was anointed with the Holy Ghost and power had to command demons more than once in some cases, and had to pray for people more than once for these things to happen. What do you think is going to happen to us? There's none of us anointed with the Holy Ghost and power without measure. But now see what would happen? We're a a body. We're the body that's complete. The more of us get together in faith and pray, guess what's going to happen? Why do you think the Lord said one of you can put a thousand to flight? But two of you can put 10,000 to flight. Now, wait a minute. There's some kind of a compounding math there, isn't there? Well, if we can go, if I'm a very strong, great faith believer, and I can cast out 1,000 demons, if I can get another man to go with me that's got great faith like me, we can go, then me and him together, we walk in that room, 10,000 demons is in trouble. But if it continues to compound at that rate, if I can get a third one to go with me, boy, that's a hundred thousand, right? Yeah. Woo! And then if I can get a fourth or a fifth to walk in, I mean, if demons are going to start fleeing before we even walk in the door. It's amazing what happens.
1: Did not say, Wait a minute. Did it not say that when Jesus was in his hometown that he prayed for people and they did not receive because they had little faith. But they did not receive.
0: Absolutely what Fred says there is absolutely 100% true. That's in Mark chapter 6, I believe it is. In fact, let's turn over there and read that, and let's see about this example in Mark 6. And that that's what comes to my mind. I believe that's where that is. But well, let's turn to Mark 6, and let's see what happened. Now here's Jesus anointed with the Holy Ghost and power without measure. And Mark chapter 6, and he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. Verse 1, Mark chapter 6, verse 1. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And what's he doing first? Teaching. teaching. That's the first thing he's doing. He's teaching in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished at what he was teaching, saying, From whence has this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Now, they had heard about these mighty works. You think this thing got by them? No, this thing had preceded him. When he was out in the countryside casting out demons and healing the sick and opening the blinds' eyes and all these things, I mean, this is following him faster. This is going ahead of him into the city. And they already know about this thing. But they say, is this not the carpenter? Is this not the son of Mary, the brother of James and uh, Jose, and of Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. In verse 5, And he, Jesus, could there do no mighty works save that he lay his hands upon a few sick folks and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. Now then, if Jesus himself, anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, if the Father in heaven would not release the healing power of the Holy Spirit, when Jesus prayed for you, guess what he's not going to do when Thurman prays for you if you don't believe he's the healer. So why do you think I have a healing school? You've got to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's God's Word to heal you every time. Because if you go in unbelief, guess what you're going to get from God? Nothing. He tells you that. You must believe Him with no doubt. Now then, guess what we usually do? Somebody learns about me, and they call me over to their home, and they say, Thurman, I need you to pray for me. My wife's sick or whatever. Uh, and and I, Would would you pray for her? And I said, sure, I will. So I go in there, and I just go in, and I lay hands on her and pray for her. And sometimes I teach a little. I mean, I used to do this. And then I'd start to walk out, and he said, oh, God, oh, I, I hope the Lord was here tonight. Oh, God, I hope he heard that prayer tonight. Guess what happened always, every time? Nothing. Nothing. Or if you go into that home, and they're on there, oh, oh, God, don't you know we're hurting you? Lord, where are you? They're begging and pleading. Is there any faith in begging and pleading? No. Did you ever find any place in the Scripture where He says, Come to me begging and pleading? No. But I can show you some cases where some people did. And guess what they got? Matthew chapter 15, the most awesome picture that I know of the little Syro-Phoenician woman, in Matthew chapter 15, she came to the Lord begging. Lord! Don't you know my daughter lies at home in a foreign country, vexed with a demon? Would you come and, and heal her? He's, she's begging. What did Jesus do? He just walked right on by. You know, I read that a hundred times before I began to get this picture. And she's continuing to beg. The Scripture said when you read it in the Greek, you read, she's begging, Lord, do something. Don't you know have my daughter's at home vexed with a demon? Lord, come do something. The disciple said, you want us to run her off? She's bothering you. And then it says the woman came before him and knelt and worshipped. Wait a minute, something changed here. She ain't begging; she comes and begins to worship. When she begins to worship, he stops and he looks at her and he says, "Woman, I didn't come but for the gent- for, I didn't come to the Gentiles. I came but for the lost sheep of Israel. Besides that, you're just a dog." Now, what if most women say, "If I walk up to you and tell you you're just a dog, oh, well, she, what do you think you are?" But that woman didn't. She said, Lord, I know. She she worshipped and she said, I know. But Lord, even the puppies get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And he said, woman, you have great faith. Go home. Your daughter's healed. Now then, if he done it that way then, guess what? And he never changes. Guess what he does today? He does it the same way. If you want something from God, you don't come to him begging. You come to him worshipping and praising. And if you do, if you'll come to Him in faith with the Word, you can get anything you want from the Lord. Let's stop right there. We're back on and we're back from the break and we're going to record here for a few more minutes. I want you to see this scene. What happens to us? Now, This when you see this scene, when you get a picture of this scene that I'm going to play for you right now, I'm going to try to act this out. And I want you to see what's going on the way I see it in the heavens. Let's say that I am walking in everything I know about the Word of God. I'm walking wholly before the Lord. I am praising Him. I wake up in the morning praising and worshiping the King. I walk through my workplace praising Him, worshiping Him, talking about Him, giving glory to the Lord Jesus. I go to bed at night. I walk holy. I walk in love. I do all these things. And then one day, Satan comes upon me and tries to put a flu on me. I know what's rightfully mine. I come against the devil. I say, Satan, you have no legal right to me. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, the Word says I'm healed. So, I'm healed. And I just keep walking. When I walked in, when I did that, guess where I walked into when I said, Father, in the name of Jesus. I walked into the Holy of Holies. Who was with me? My attorney. What is his name? Jesus. Whenever he walked in and I petitioned the Father, I petitioned him boldly. I didn't come in crying and whimpering. I come in by faith. I know what's mine. Jesus said, that's right, Dad. He's been walking holy before you. He's been reading the Word. He's worshiping you. He's praising you. He's doing everything. I ask that you bind that, send the Holy Spirit to bind that demon of hell and kick him out of his life so he don't have to be sick. He said, You got it, son. It's a done deal. I'm the judge. It's over. And so I, the sickness is gone. But let's say. That next time, some Christian is like a young boy. Friday. A young boy, probably, I don't know, early 20s. These electricians that have come out here doing this job for me. I mean, the first thing happened. I walked down there the other morning with these electricians, a bunch of new ones. I said, good morning, gentlemen. How are you all doing? Well, we're doing pretty good. We're getting ready to do this job. I said, are you guys praising the Lord? Any of you boys Christians? Any of you all know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Well, well, yeah, I, I know Jesus. I said, where do you go to church? Why do I need to tell you? I said, I just want to know. If you're a Christian, do you go to church? Oh, yeah, I go to the Church of Christ. I said, good, praise God. You're my brother in Christ. I said, how about you, son? Well, you know, I, you know, I don't go to church very much, but you know, I'm a Christian. I said, shame on you. The devil's going to get you. He said, what do you mean the devil's going to get me? I said... Well, praise God. I said, how many of you boys saw an answer to prayer this last week? What do you mean? Yeah. How many of you saw an answer to prayer? How many of you cast a demon out of somebody? How many of you saw somebody get healed? What are you talking about? I said, do you see any miracles in your church? No, we don't see no miracles in my church of Christ. <laughs> this other boy said, how about you? He said, oh, we don't see none of these. I said, well, boy, what a shame. I said, let me tell you what's a fool, boys. I said, I told them two or three miracles, and they're all standing there with their eyes big. And one other boy over there, I said, how about you, son? You ain't said nothing. He said, I'm an assembly of God, and I see answers to prayer like that. He said, we've seen our pastor pray. He said, I ain't never seen one myself. I've never prayed, but I've seen the pastor pray, and I've seen these miracles. said, so we see miracles in our church. And the other guys and said, you do? How come you never told us about these things? Oh. <laughs> I said, now, boys, that's what's available if you walk with the king. Woo. I mean, every time I go to lunch or something, sit down and them boys are over there, guess what we talk about? Jesus. Well, one of them yesterday, Friday, Friday yeah, one of the boys came to me and he said, to, Now, that, Thurman, this is this guy I told you about. You he, he, he need to pray for this boy. I said, What's wrong with you, son? He said, I need a driver's license. I said, Why don't you have a driver's license? Uh, he said, Well, I can't get one for four years. I said, What did you do wrong? Well, a couple of years ago, I got caught out with some guys and I had just a little bitty bit of marijuana. Mm -hmm. So he said, I can't get a driver's license for four years. I said, well, so you want me to pray for you to get a driver's license? He said, well, these guys said miracles happen when you pray. I said, yes, son, it does. I said, but... I said, let me ask you this question. Are you a born-again Christian? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, yeah, I am. I said, where do you go to church? He said, well, I don't go to church. I said, why not? He said, because I have to work 12 and 14 hours a day. I said, Son, that's not a good enough excuse. I said, You're in your early 20s, and I'm in my 60s. And I said, I work 12 and 14 hours a day too, and I read the Bible 10 and 15 hours a week minimum. And I said, I teach Bible study classes and go out all the time and pray for the sick, and I'm in church every time the door's open, so that's not a good excuse. So he said, I've got to go to church. I said, You're not tithing either, are you? He said, No. I said, You ain't reading the Word either, are you? I said, you wake up praising and worshiping the Lord this morning? He says, No. I said, Son, let me tell you something until you start doing it God's way, you're going to not have no driver's
1: license.
0: (laughs) I mean, I've learned how it works, folks. I said, now I'm going to tell you, you're going to have to change your ways. You're going to have to start going to church every time the door's open. You're going to have to start giving him 10% of your income. You're going to have to start walking in a love relationship to all people. You're going to have to start reading this word every day. He said, sir... You didn't hear me. I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "I work too many hours. I don't have time to do those things." I said, "Son, let me tell you one more time. You ain't hearing me either." The Lord clearly said in uh, Luke's Luke six, I believe it is. No, not Luke six. Matthew six, I guess it is. He said, "Seek me and my righteousness first, and then all these things will be added unto you." I said, "Now, son, let me give you this scenario." I'm fixing to come before the Father in heaven. And I'm going to take my brother, Jesus, which is going to be your attorney if you really are a born-again Christian. And since he's with you all the time, you can't lie to him. He already knows the truth. So I'm going to walk up and i say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I need you to have pity and mercy on this little fellow right here so he can get a driver's license. And... The judge is going to say, Well, what does the attorney have to say? (laughs) And Jesus is going to say, Well, Dad, yes, he's your son, but he's a rebel. He has not been to church. He is not reading your word. He's not walking in love, and he's not tithing. But what do you say, Dad? He's going to say, Well... I heard one of my other sons down there just tell him to start going to church, to start tithing, to start walking in love. Let's give him six more months and see how he performs. And then in six months, come back with your petitions again. If he's changed his ways and straightened his act up, then I'll move and I'll have things changed and the boy get his driver's license. I said, son, that's the scenario that's going on. I said, now then, do you want a driver's license? He said, well, yeah. I said, then you're going to have to make some changes. See, we don't see it like that, do we, Tommy? How old is this person? Probably 24. Never had a driver's license. Never. Hmm. Never said he had not had one. He went to apply for one and he couldn't get one. And the reason he couldn't, I knew when he said he couldn't get a driver's license, I said, well, why? Now, let me tell you, not folks. Yeah, something wrong with his record. Now, let me tell you what. When you come to God for healing, First of all, lots of people say, well, but Thurman, do you believe I'm sick because of my sin? I'm going to have to tell you, yes. You're sick because of your sin. Now, your sin may be that you just don't know what's yours. And that's, I think, what's wrong with about 99% of the church. I mean, no, you're not, as a Christian, most Christians I know that are sick, even some of them died with cancer, they're not living in gross sin. They're not living in sexual immorality. They're not lying, stealing, cheating. But they don't know the Word of God. Now then, if the devil comes upon you to kill you and you don't know that healing is yours and every word that comes out of your mouth when that tumor begins to come up inside of you or you begin to get a symptom or a pain, if you say, oh my Lance, I've got this pain, I better go to the doctor. Now then, you have just sinned right there. Because Romans 14.23 says, anything you do that's not of faith is sin. Now that will blow you away. So what is faith? Faith is the Word of God. If you don't know the Word of God, you know how many times we must really sin in the course of a day when we don't even know it? It just it makes me tremble to think that I'm, praise God, I'm trying to do everything I know. I read the Word day in and day out, and I'm doing everything I know to walk in obedience to that Word. Therefore, the only thing I can go on, if I'm doing everything I can, the blood of Jesus continuously cleanses me from all unrighteousness. That's the only hope I have. Because as a human being, just like the Scripture you quoted in Romans 7, but as you get down in Romans 8, He says, but who will deliver me from this? Whoa! There's the answer. But Jesus, He will do it. So when you get Him, you don't have to sin. He will deliver you. You don't have to. you got a choice to make. You don't have to walk in sin. You can walk in holiness. But you don't know the people I talk to that just like here, the, one of the first lessons I taught was on curses. And today, before you all leave, I've got several boxes of tapes back here over many of these teaching seminars, probably four or five sets of um, anyway, and, and all kinds of audio tapes on teaching, on healing and deliverance and everything else. You need to get them. It's the ones on the curses. So many Christians don't understand there is such thing as curses. I've been a Christian for, I guess, 40 years, and I didn't even know there was such thing as a curse. But when I learned there was a curse, I learned that the minute I sinned and didn't repent of my sin, I opened the door to a demonic spirit to come into my life. As a Christian, the minute I sinned and didn't confess the sin, there is multitudes of sins in the Bible. And I've had so many experiences since I've learned these things with Christians, and I'll tell you one that will just blow you away. A young man and a young woman that got married... And right after they got married, within probably, I don't know, a year, a year and a half or something like that, this boy, he had always been a little bit of a drinker. He used to be a pretty heavy drinker. When he got married, he changed his ways or tried to. And then a year, a year and a half into the marriage, uh, he got to where he stopped in by the beer hall and having a few beers every night. And he'd come home half drunk. One night his wife told him, said, honey, how come you're so late coming home? He said, well, I I stopped by and had a few beers. She said, you're going to have to stop that. We don't have the money for you to waste on on that drinking. He said, I can't stop doing it. It's just something compels me to pull in there to stop. She said, you have a demon. And guess what happened? The demon manifest. And he went wild. And he began to use all kinds of bad language. He began to tear up the place. He began to jerk the curtains off the wall. This mother... A mother-in-law, or the mother of the girl, tried, she didn't know where I was. She tried, and she tried, called everywhere until finally she found out I was at work. She finally, it was 8 or 9 o'clock one night, I'm still at work. She got a hold of me and she said, Thurman, you've got to come to our house. I said, my son-in-law's tearing the place down. I said, I'll be there as quick as I can get there. I walked out on the parking lot. I just put up everything. I was working on a computer program. I put everything down. I walked out there. I said, Satan, I demand that you tell me how you got in this young man in the name of Jesus. I've got to know how you got legal right to be in this boy. And I went out there and got my pickup and hit the starter, and that pickup wouldn't start. It turned over, and it turned over, and I run the battery down. And it has never done that in its life. I finally called one of my mechanics out said, bring the maintenance truck out here and jump me off. I said, this thing getting fuel, it's getting fired, it won't start. And we, for 30 minutes, we messed with that pickup. And it would not fire a lick. I know what's wrong. I said, Satan, take your lousy hands off of my pickup. In the name of Jesus, I command you to get off of it. I got in and hit that starter. First time it turned over, it started. Now, what can the devil do? He can do far beyond what you can think he can do. Can he mess with an engine where it won't crank? I guarantee I learned that night he can. But when I kicked him out... I got that engine started, and I went out there, and I got there at that home. I walked up. That boy was all upset, and I walked up in that place. I said, in the name of Jesus. And that boy was immediately subdued and went back into a bedroom and locked the door. I said, now then, I've got to know what happened here tonight. And this mother said, Thurman, he just went wild. Said he just began to tear things up. Said we we don't know what you know he was just he was doing saying all kinds of bad things and tearing things. Down. I said you know it was a demon. You've been in my Sunday school class, you know there was a demon. She said yes I knew that was a demon. And she said I told him you have no legal right here, and you, and I, in the name of Jesus I command you to stop this. And he said woman you have no authority here. She said I'm a Christian I have all authority here. She said that boy looked at me and said you. Don't know where it's found in the Word. Not one verse that guarantees you have authority over me. I said, woman, can you quote me one verse that guarantees that you know you have authority over that devil? She said, no, but I've been in your son's school class and I've heard you quote them verses. I said, but do you know where any of them's found? She said, no. I said, no, wasn't that a difference? Because when I walked up and said, in the name of Jesus, what happened? She said, man, he, he immediately changed. And I said, now then, I've got to know how that thing got in... And she said, well, he said something else. When I said, you have no legal right here, he said, I have all kinds of legal right here because Jack, now he's talking himself. This is the boy. This is the boy talking to this mother-in-law and he says, Jack and Jill. Now he's talking second person. So guess who's talking? A demon. Jack and Jill let me in before they got married. I turned right at that young woman and I said, woman, you and that boy had sex before you all got married, didn't you? Well, she said, but everybody does that. I said, oh, and everybody gets a demon too. I said, you got a demon. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, didn't, I didn't know this. I said, that's what's wrong with us. We don't understand. Our sins give the devil legal right to come into our lives. I said, now then I know what the problem is. I said, I'll be back over here. I said, I'll go. But in the morning, 7 o'clock, you all be up. I'll be back before I, get, before I go to work. I'll come by here and I've got to talk to you all come by there the next morning at 7 o'clock and they're all sitting there at the breakfast table. I said, son, I found out last night you and this girl had sex before you got married. He said, well, yeah, we did. I said, well, that's a sin. I said, are you willing to ask God to forgive you for that sin? He said, yes, I am. I said, you know that sin, don't you? He said, well, yeah, I, I knew it was wrong. I said, young lady, you knew it was wrong. And she said, yes, I did. I said, I want both of you all to tell the Lord you're sorry you sinned against Him. And they did. I said, now then, demon... I said, I also want you now, son, I want you to tell this demon in your own words, I have now confessed my sins and you no longer have legal right to me and I don't want you in my body. And when he said that, I said, now then, I said, demon, I command you no manifestations. No manifestations. We ain't going to have no more demonstrations like we had last night. I said, I'm taking authority over you. I'm binding your power in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And I am a son of God speaking as his representative on this earth. I command you to come out of this boy and out of this girl and go back to the pit of hell and stay there. And don't you ever come back in the name of Jesus. I said, now thank you, Lord, for delivering them. And guess what? That boy was delivered from the spirit of alcohol. He has never had another problem with drinking. Never. That's been at least two or three years ago. Now then, what do you do? You go to AA. You go to all kinds of programs. You do everything in the world. And you come out of there, and does the demon leave? No, he's still in. Was the legal right for him to be there still there? Yes. Had the sin been confessed? Nobody ever told me, well, I've got to confess the sin and then cast the demon out to get free. That's why so many Christians got the problems they got. Now then, when you sin, I mean when you sin, why should you take First John 1, 9 and immediately confess that sin? Don't give that sucker time to give that demon. Because the minute you sin, guess who's standing up there? Guess who sin? Now, God, God, look at your little son Ricky down there. He just said, look at look at that. See, look at that. The Lord said, yeah, I know, I know. Be patient. He's going to confess in a little while. But what if he don't confess in a little while? The devil said, look at him. It's been two weeks now. He, look, he, he hadn't confessed that sin. The Lord says, that's right. Okay, okay. He's under a curse. It's written. I can't break my word. The devil says, oh boy. And he comes into your house. And he comes in and he begins to afflict you. And you get all kinds of problems. You get symptoms. You get emphysema. You get heart problems. You get cancer. He breaks your car. He breaks into your home. He does everything he can while he's got a legal right to you. Now, what can you do? If you finally come to your senses, and you finally hear somebody that teach you the truth, you can say, Lord, I sinned. Forgive me. And when you ask forgiveness, is the sin forgiven? Yes. Did the demon leave? No. That's why the Lord told us clearly in Mark chapter 16, verse 17, "...these signs shall follow my children those that believe. In my name you shall cast out these demons." Now, you can't, I have had many experiences with demons. And you can't cast that booger out as long as he's got a legal right to be there. I mean, I've had women. I've had men. I've had children. I've had all kinds of people that were sick and afflicted and with all kinds of diseases and everything else. And when I found the source of the sin and I got that sin confessed, I've had demons speak back to me out of a woman or a man and say, I'm not coming out. I've got a legal right to be here. And when they tell me that, I said, all right. I command the demon to shut up and I talk to the woman or the man or whoever's there and I say, do you all know what the course of the sin is? Because see, you can't get nobody healed in a situation like that. With a demon in there, I don't care what you do. I don't care how hard you pray over them until you make sure their sins are confessed. They have repented and they're walking in a love relationship to the Lord. You can't get them healed. Now then... Even if they've done all those things and they still don't know it's God's will to heal them, you still can't get them healed. But when people learn that it is God's will to heal you every time, but that your sin is what opens a door for a devil to come in to torment you, and when you open that door and that devil comes in, and that devil may come into your life because of your parents' sins... It may come into your life because of your grandparents' sin. Because the Word of God clearly says that if you sin and the father's sins will be passed to the children three and four generations, except in the area of an illegitimate child, and that sin will be passed through that child's life for ten generations. Now then, that means we're in big trouble. How many people do you know that in ten generations back on both sides of the family? And you know how many people that is? You know how many people that is? Well, yeah, That's that, yeah, twenty years. That's right. So that that is awesome to think that ten generations is under the curse. So you may be a descendant of a great 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 grandfather that was born out of wedlock. Now then, if they didn't know that, nowhere down the line, and the sin has not been confessed, the curse is passed right on down to you. But guess what? Galatians chapter 3. Praise God for Jesus. I have come, and I have redeemed you from the curse of the law. Once you learn that Jesus redeemed you from that curse, and you can say, Father, in the name of Jesus... I realize I've been under a curse. I've been tormented with all these tormenting spirits. I've had all these problems all these years and I didn't know what the problem was. But I realize I've been tormented. I now know it's a demon that's in there in my body tearing me up that causes me to do all these things and say all these foul words and do all these devastating things. And Lord, I don't know know if I'm walking in sin or not. But Lord, the Israeli children, they couldn't get healed either until they confessed the sins of their fathers. But when they confessed the sins of their fathers, then you moved in and healed them all. So Father, I now realize that Jesus redeemed me for the curse of the law. He became a curse for me. So if He became a curse for me, then by faith I ask You to forgive me and my fathers of all their sins. And I forgive them, and I ask You to forgive me. So now then... My, that my attachment to them is broken. I have confessed that as sin. I'm confessing their, what they've done as sin even though I don't know what they've done. I know they sin. So I forgive them and I ask you to forgive them. And now by faith, I'm walking into the kingdom of God and realizing that Jesus redeemed me from the curse. He became a curse for me. And if He became a, a curse for me and took my curse, I no longer have to be under this curse. So by faith... Just like the Scripture says in Galatians chapter 3, verse uh, 13, 14, and 15, I am now free from the curses, and I am now walking in obedience to your word, and I am now receiving all the promises of Abraham, the promises of the Spirit, by faith because it is written, they're all mine. If from this day forth I'm never going to be sick again, I'm never going to be poor again, and I'm never going to let a demon attach to me ever again, and I'm going to walk in divine health from this day forth, because it is written. And you start off, and the devil grabs you and puts you down on the floor. And you ain't never had a pain this bad. And you, whenever he does, he says, I'll show you you ain't going to walk off. And when, you, when you're standing there on your knees in tremendous pain, you say, but Father, it is written. I don't go by pain. I don't go by symptoms. I don't go by reason because I know the minute I go by reason, the devil's going to beat me. But Lord, I go by faith and it is written in Your name. You said you become that curse for me. You redeem me for it. I don't have to live in this no more. I'm going to walk in divine help because of what You did for me on the cross. It's done. And you continue to say, Now, I don't care if the devil's got that pain on me. I'm getting up and I'm going. And as you go quoting the Word, praising Him and worshiping Him, guess what's going to happen to that demon that's been tormenting you all these years? He's going away. That's absolutely right. As long as that devil can keep you in the area of reason, and he will work on your mind, he will work on your physical body, and he will do terrible things. In fact, Jane back there is a perfect example... About th- I, I explained to her how the devil was going to come back to her. She had been totally free of emphysema and heart problem for about three months, something like that. And I told her, I said, the devil's going to come back. He always comes back for a counterattack. If he can get you to get into the area of reason, I said, he'll kill you. So she's sitting there. When, I told her, I said, be daily filling your mind and your heart with the Word of God. Have your Word, have it marked up ready to come against the devil. So as an RN a nurse that used to work in a hospital here in this metroplex area, one day, all of a sudden, the most excruciating heart pain hit her right in the chest about three months after she'd been healed. Now, when that hits you, for most people, most people that don't know what's going on, when that happens, and it's that severe, what do most people do? Call 911. And when you've done that, guess what you've just done as a born-again Christian? You just sinned. You just stepped outside of faith. You don't know God healed you on the cross. If you did, you ain't going to call 911. If you really got it in your spirit, you're going to know He healed you on the cross. So you, she's gonna do, you're going to do exactly what Jane did. First, when the pain was so severe, she thought about it. And then she said, uh-oh, this is what Thurman said what the devil was going to do to me. So she went over there and she sat down at her table with the Word, with this excruciating pain in her heart and began to quote the devil, the Word. Now if James four seven is true, it says, if you have submitted yourself to God, if you resist the devil with it is written, he will flee from you. See, we don't understand that, do we? But she did. And by sitting there... For several minutes, probably ten minutes, as she is resisting the devil with it is written, Buster, what is it you don't understand about these promises where I've got authority over you? Jesus healed me on the cross. He bore my pain, so I don't have to have it. I know this is you, devil, and this didn't come from God. Jesus healed me on the cross. And as she's quoting the word to him, she's doing exactly what Jesus did over there in Matthew chapter 4. When the devil come to Jesus, what did the devil use? What did Jesus use against the devil? The The word of God. It is written. Now did did Jesus get rid of the devil the first time? No. No. So if the devil come against Jesus with three different times, and you've got to remember the third time, what did the devil do to Jesus? He quoted Scripture. I've had him do that to me. Many times. That means you've got to be able to do the same thing Jesus did. When the devil, that third time, came to Jesus and he said, All right, Buster, I'll just take you up on the temple on the top. And right here, look down, jump off. Because it is written. He will send his angels and pick you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Is that written? You bet it is in Psalms 91. But Jesus said, It is also... I got revelation... It is also... I got revelation from the Holy Spirit or I would have never, coming out of a Southern Baptist church that never taught me any of these things, I would have never had the privilege to walk in this realm and understand these things. But let me tell you, when the Lord Jesus comes to you and speaks to you in an audible voice, the first time... You can never be the same. Now, then, let me ask this question. How many, I will ask this question, and some of you may have a, a yes to this. How many of you have ever heard an audible voice of the Lord? Nobody. Oh, one, okay. But I, most people in my Baptist church, when I tell them that I've heard the audible voice of the Lord many times, not just once, many times, most of them think I'm crazy. In fact, they even had a woman, I won't mention her name because it will be on the tape, but there was a woman a a few years ago came to me and she said, Thurman, have I got an apology to make to you? And I said, ma'am, I mean, you never said anything to me that offended me. She said, oh, it's not what, I I know I never said anything to your face. I said, you don't know how many times I have said behind your back, Who does Thurman think he is when he says, and God spoke to me and told me to do this? I said, doesn't he know that God doesn't speak to people anymore? You know, that's where most people are, in in the church. So I said, so what changed your mind? She said, this week. This was on Sunday morning. She said, this week I was laying in my bed and for three years, two or three years, I've been praying and saying, Lord, I'm getting older and I know I could come home to be with you at any time. And I have never led a person to Jesus, Lord, what should I do? And she said, I've been praying that prayer for two or three years. She said, This last week, I was laying in my bed beside my husband, sound asleep, and all of a sudden, I heard this booming voice that should have woke up the whole world. And I stood up totally erect in my bed, and he said, And he called my name, and he said, Just go just go. She said, it should have woke up the world. So I looked at my husband still sound asleep. He didn't hear a thing. But she said, I'm, I'm telling you, Thurman, I'm sorry. I heard God's voice. And he told me, see, I've been asking him for two or three years, what should I do? And I guess he got tired of hearing me ask. He said, just go. So she said, would you go with me and teach me how to lead people to Jesus? I said, sure. So I went with her and we uh, got two, went two or three places and, and led some people to Jesus. And she said, I got it now. I can do it now. And so uh, she's been a different woman ever since. But she has never said anything again that Thurman's crazy, that nobody hears the voice of God. Because when he spoke to her and woke her up, a bold, booming voice that called her name and said, Just go. Don't you think God must get tired of hearing some of our prayers that we pray over and over when He told you exactly what to do in this book? Yeah, yeah, that's why it's whiny. But the thing about it is, whenever you when you have somebody that has a demon, you have to cast out that demon. And you if you have opened that door to a demon in your life, and it may not have been your life that caused it. It could have been somebody in your past. And that's what's so devastating. And I hear people say, But Thurman, that's not fair. Let me tell you this one thing I've learned about the Word of God, and it ain't fair. But it's true. And if it says it, you can believe it's real. Because as I've got to where I believe this book, I have seen many people miraculously healed that could never be healed. And I've cast demons out of people. I've spoken the healing power of Jesus into people. And if you will stay with it, if you make sure your sins are confessed, now see, that's, that's where we don't, we don't do too good a job of this in the church. Of telling people, In fact, when's the last time you heard in your church, if you sin, if you go out and have sex with a boy or a girl outside of wedlock, you're going to get a demon, and that demon's going to come into your life, and he's going to be attached to you forever or until you confess that sin and repent of it, that demon's going to be there. And he's going to come in in the form of anger, or rage, or alcohol, or drugs, or nicotine, and you're not going to be able to get rid of that beast until you repent of your sins and go through a deliverance. You ever heard that in your church? Praise God. Some of you have. Most of you haven't, right, Orson? But if you don't know that, if you don't know it, many people I've ministered to that had demons, if they didn't believe they could have a demon, and the demons in there tormenting them, but yet, like the, one of the tapes that you can get and take home with you, when that boy, believed, that young man, believed what I told him, that little six-year-old girl, that they had prayed and prayed for her healing, and he went in there and commanded that devil to come out of his daughter commanded in the name of Jesus on behalf of Mark. I mean, Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, where Jesus clearly said that they have to be subject to us in the name of Jesus. He cast that demon out and then they agreed in prayer that the Holy Spirit would come in and heal his little daughter's feet. And overnight, that little girl had a miracle healing. When you see that one time, after that, you can't never tell that boy that you can't have a demon no more. Right? Or when you take a woman... Uh, that you cast a demon out that's already had uh, uh, hysterectomy and all these things and pains and cramps and nothing goes away and she's still got the same problem and I find out she's got unforgiveness and hatred toward her ex-husband and I go down there and this demon I begin to command this spirit to come out and this demon just rears up in her and says I ain't coming out I got legal right to be here everybody was blown away in that house that day when I looked over and said, Hey, I said, your wife's got a spirit of hatred. you know who she hates? And he said, That's simple. Her ex-husband. And I said, You must forgive him. And whenever she finally forgave that boy, and I commanded the demon to come out of her, she was instantly totally healed. I, just a few minutes before, I said, Lady, what you need is Jesus. No, no, no. I don't want nothing to do with him. But yet a few minutes later, after I cast the demon out, I said, Now, young lady, what you need is Jesus. She said, Yes, yes. I led her into the kingdom got her saved filled with the Holy Spirit and all of her symptoms and her pains and everything else went away now then if you don't know that if you don't know you've got to cast out a demon you don't know you've got to do these things then how long can you pray for that person and they never get healed you can pray for them the rest of your life and nothing will happen but if you cast, if you if you went through a deliverance, or you went through and repented and got rid of all your sins, and then you cast the demon out, the people get well. That's just like people pray for people with Alzheimer's. But I had a woman that had come to my Sunday school class, I don't know six eight months ago, whatever it was, and she hadn't been able to drive a car a year and a half. And I taught them the Word of God for three and a half hours, cast the demon of Alzheimer's out of this woman and spoke the healing power of Jesus into her. And did I see any change right then? Didn't see not one thing, not one bit of change. But I told her husband, I said, all you need to do is just continue to worship and praise the Lord. And I guarantee she's set free. Because I, I cast the demon out and asked the Father in the name of Jesus to put a brand new mind out of his paraport bank in heaven in her head. So she never knew what I did. That's exactly what I did. And guess what? In three weeks' time, they called back and said, She's got her driver's license back. She passed the driving test today. And she's able to go and do anything she wants to do. Say that again. We missed it. What about the...
2: We're
0: about the, the putting the prayer?
1: Yeah, say it again.
0: I didn't hear it. Okay. I said, first of all, this couple with their daughter came to my Sunday school class from Iowa. And they came in there. And the reason they came is because that many people that come to my class have have received miracles or seen healing. So they run into a couple over in Louisville and they told them to come to my Sunday school class. And so they did. And so I asked the class this morning, I said, would you all mind if I direct the entire class toward healing? They said, no, of course not. Because I said, this couple from Iowa. They're out of town. They're not going to get to here but an hour. And I'm teaching on angels. And they ain't going to get no healing in the angels. So I taught for an hour. And of course, this woman sat there with her eyes glazed over, and I'm talking to her husband. I said, "Sir, you know that you and her are one when you got married, so you are going to stand in faith for her." Everybody knows when you get married, you become one; you're no longer two. And so I said, "Now you can stand in faith for your wife." So I, I taught them an hour, and then all the, the rest, of the, the bell rang, and I said, "Y'all going to church?" But I said, "Y'all hadn't heard enough to be healed." I said, "I want y'all to stay with me." They stayed with me till 1:30. Yeah. You know, see, I'm not, I'm not a normal Sunday school teacher. You know, I mean, I don't go in there and teach you 20 or 30 minutes to read what's in a book. I teach you what the Word says. And after three and a half hours, I said, Now then, I believe you've heard enough to be healed. He said, Sir, i never heard nothing like this in my life. He said, I believe you cast this demon out of my wife and pray for her. She's going to be healed. And is he ready? Mm-hmm. He's ready. So I looked right at that woman. I said, In the name of Jesus, I bind this spirit of Alzheimer's. I command you, devil. You demons of hell, I command you to come out of her and go to the pit of hell and stay there in the name of Jesus because I'm a son of God anointed with the Holy Ghost and power and you have to be subject to me in the name of Jesus according to Luke 10.20. I said, now, Father, in the name of Jesus, I don't know how bad the devil has messed up this woman's mind. But I said, Father, I ask you to take one out of your spare parts bank in heaven and put it in her head. Give her a brand new one because I know that if we got spare parts that we're taking out of people putting in. I know you can do better than that because you clearly told me in your word in Ephesians 3.20 you can do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything I can think or imagine and Lord I can even think that so I said thank you Lord for doing it she's healed and now then, I didn't see not one change I talked to her she wasn't hearing a thing I said now sir all you need to do I said your wife your wife's healed I said, God's doing surgery on your wife. God's putting a new brain in her. I said, all you need to do is begin to worship and praise Him and thank Him for her healing. Now then, as He is redoing her, that's not one of them instantaneous healings. See, I've seen many instantaneous ones, And boy, do I love it. Do I love it when I can go down and find somebody on a deathbed and cast a demon out, and they get up off the deathbed and walk out. Now, I've seen that too, folks. When you see that... I mean, you talk about causing your shoots to stem up there right quick and them green leaves jump out all over it. That'll do it for you. I don't mind telling you. But it it don't do too many bad things for you when the husband calls back three weeks later and says, My wife is well. She's driving a car. She passed her driver's test and she got her driver's license back today. Hey, But I was worshiping him and praising him and thanking him all the time anyway because I knew it was already done. Because, see, if I didn't know it was already done, it wasn't done. If I didn't pray in faith, nothing happened. So when I pray, I don't say, Lord, if it be your will, heal this (laughs) woman. I say, Lord, I know what your will is, and your will is for me as your son because I'm a part of your body, and you want me to walk in total sin free. You want me to walk holy and in health and in prosperity before you because I am your body, and I want good things for my body. And so if I want good things for my body, I know you want good for yours. And since I'm a cell in yours, I know you want this one to be perfect. And I'm going to ask you to make it that way as close as you know how. And so when you pray like that, when you take the Word and you pray like that, you see miracles. But if, if you're not waking up in the morning worshiping the Lord, and if you're not waking up reading His Word or praising Him, if you wake up and don't even think about Jesus, and if you get up and have breakfast and you don't say one thing of blessing over that food, and then you go out there and go to work and you work all day and there hadn't been one thought of Jesus come into your mind, and you've worked and you get tired and you come home and you sit down and you eat and everything, and you go to bed and you didn't say, Thank you, Lord. You didn't praise Him. You didn't worship Him. You didn't sit down when you sat down to capture. But, Thurman, don't you know there's people all around me? Yeah, I know. I sat down in the midst of 40, 50, 60, 70 of them every day. But do I praise Him? Yeah. In fact, guess what happened? I guess it was Thursday morning, I guess it was. I sat down to breakfast and there was about four of my mechanics coming up there and sat down. And two of them are, are lost and I sat down there and I started to pray and one of them across the counter to the end of me which is a very good Catholic boy I mean he has really learned the Word of God since I've been there in the last five years I started to pray over my meal and as I bowed my head I didn't say he said Thurman pray it out loud so I did loud enough for everybody at two or three tables around to hear but see that's what it takes you've got to praise Him worship Him thank Him be in His Word and, and let me let me give you folks this scenario. This is another one of those scenes that I see in heaven. When my wife and I, since I'm going to be the bride of Christ, y'all heard that story. You know, you're, we're, we're the bride of Christ. We're going to be His companion. When I used to, when I was a young man, I used to court my wife. I mean, you know, when I went out to go with her, did I go out there in the old, scrudgy, smelly, bad clothes I could not get on? Did I, you know, no, no. I mean, I went home, took a shower, and I put on the good smell and stuff, and I shaved, you know. And I wanted to look good. I wanted to impress this girl because I loved her. And so I, I did everything right. I tried to do everything right. Well, I mean, I finally wooed her, and I won her. I'm going to ask this girl. I said, will you marry me? And she said, yes. And so what do you think would happen? I married this girl. I bring her home. And we get married that night after we get married. Instead of going on a honeymoon, I take her out there and I say, Well, here's this little house I've rented for us. I said, uh, I've got some things I've got to do. And I've got some cars I've got to work on since I'm a mechanic at that time. I said, If you'll just stay here, I'll be back later. And I go down there and I work on cars and I do things. And about four, five, six months later, I come back home. I ain't called. You know, I hadn't wrote a letter. I hadn't done nothing. How many of you know what where that girl's going to be six months from now if I ain't called or nothing?
3: She's have another quarter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, she ain't going to be there, is she? Well, let me tell you, that's the way some of us are when it comes to our king. I mean, we're going to be his bride. We need to be finding out what sets him on fire. Don't we? Yes. We need to be loving him, praising him, worshiping him. We need to be doing... In fact, Tommy told me something I hope you don't mind if I tell this. He said, "He said the first time I met him, he said, how are you doing or what are you doing? I said, I'm praising the Lord. He said, the Lord spoke to him This as clear as a bell in his spirit and said, that's what's wrong with you. You're not praising me enough. Is that right, Tommy? See? He said, the Lord told him that. He said, right in his spirit, the Lord said, that's what's wrong with you. You're not praising me enough. But boy, last week when we went over to that hospital and we come out of there, guess who's got his hands raised walking across the parking lot praising the king? <laughs> it's Tommy. And of course, I was right there with him. Me and him both. But we've learned what moves the hand of God. Right, Tommy? So if you worship him and you praise him, now then, it's like I told that little lady over that day, Beverly, I said, Beverly, if Larry, your husband, if every time he comes home for the evening, he comes in and he looks you right now and he says, Honey, you're the prettiest thing i ever seen. I love you. Woo! Said, You're just the best thing ever happened to me. And maybe once a week he brings you a pretty little rose or something and said, Honey, this is just for you, just because you're you. And if us guys would really do that to our wives, guess what our wives would do for us? What would they do? Everything. But guess what happens to us guys? You know? We just start taking our wives for granted. We we expect the house to be clean. We expect everything to be in the right drawer. We expect the meal to be on the table. And we do all those things and we sit down and we eat. We never get up and say, honey, that sure was good. I sure did enjoy that. And you never spend no time with your wife. And then one of these days, all of a sudden, your wife calls and says, hey, I found somebody else and I've decided I don't love you no more. Is there any reason? Sure, she had all kinds of reasons. So let me tell you something. If you want God to do miracles for you, and you want Him to do these wonderful things for you, if you don't spend any word with Him, you know what should happen to us? When I'm, I'm I'm going to do something here that most of you are probably going to think I'm crazy. Did you know when I hold this in my hand, you know who I'm holding in my hand? Jesus, Lord, I love you. I love you. I worship you, Lord. Hold this Word close to your heart. When you do, if you want to be powerful with God, you hold this Word close to you. You always spend time in this Word. Because if you do, there will be no limit to the power He'll let you walk in. Now then, I've known lots of big time events that got there because they started out that way. And then when they got a big name and big crowds, they didn't have time to spend time with the Creator no more. Now then they just lay the Word down. And they go and they draw in the big money and everything. And then one day all of a sudden they come down with cancer. Or their wife leaves them. All of a sudden their ministry's gone to pot. Or they get hung up with a prostitute or whatever. And everybody says, but what a man of God. What happened? I'm going to tell you what happened. He left his first love. And guess what? The way I read the book, Jesus said, I'm a jealous God. And I don't share you with nobody. If you want Him to do miracles for you, and if you want to walk in health, and you want to have Him do great and mighty things for you and keep you delivered from the demons... You're going to have to put Him first. You're going to have to wake up in the morning praising the King. You're going to have to wake up in the morning doing a little reading. Put a tape about the Bible or the Word of God. I am amazed that Beverly has not listened to those tapes since Thursday, Wednesday, whatever it was. Here's a woman. We went over and cast a demon out of her, spoke the healing power of Jesus into her, that the felt the deliverance of the fire of God come through her life and the cool breeze of the Holy Spirit come on her and give her a handful of tapes and ain't listened to one of them since then. But now let me tell you what. Judy Prince is just the opposite. The lady in Corpus Christi, when I left her and I left her a handful of tapes and a, a, a week or ten days later when I called, she said, I have listened to those tapes from the time I wake up in the morning till I go to bed at night. Now there is a woman that got up off her deathbed with terminal cancer instantly healed. But has she been able for eight months to walk in total health? You bet. But that woman was one week off of her deathbed. But she has been putting God's Word in her heart. She is walking in obedience to the Word. if you want to stay free, you've got to hide this Word in your heart. And don't just hide it in there and lay it down. Let it collect dust. When you pray, take this book. Get on your knees. Worship Him. Tell him how much you love him, kiss this word, because he and the word are the same. How many people do you ever know that have knelt and hold this in their hand and say, "I worship you, Lord, because I'm holding you in my hands. I love you, Lord," and literally kiss the word. I love you, Lord. But if you want Him to do miracles for you, if you'll do that, He'll do a whole lot more. And then if you'll do what He says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is very, very important for getting your miracle and walking in your healing. In fact, this is the ultimate. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse 13. Now this chapter, some of you... Have probably heard this scripture or heard this thing. this is a this is one this is an awesome, awesome chapter when it comes to love. First Corinthians chapter thirteen and now abideth faith, hope, charity, or love. these three, but the greatest of these is love or charity. Now charity means love. now actually, the word in the Greek is agape, which that word in the Greek is the God kind of love. And we find that same verse in 1 John 4, 8, which says, So God is love. Now, if God is love, you need to know how to make this work. Because did you know that you can have the greatest faith in the world or the greatest knowledge of the Word of God and your faith will not work Without love, because the scriptures clearly says faith is dependent on love to work. When you go to first John chapter four, verse eight, you find that he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. You have to know that. and then when you go to Galatians chapter five verse six and Galatians five: six this will literally blow your socks off, but faith which worketh by love. Think about what he just said. Your faith worketh by love. So you can see love is greater because your faith will not work unless you are walking in love. Now, lots of people say, Boy, I'm going to have great faith like Thurman. I'm going to go out. I'm going to read the Word. I'm going to memorize this book. I'm going to have great faith. And I'm going to do all the things he does. And you can't. There's not a problem. But guess what? somebody comes along and he's uh, maybe a contractor or something and he gets crossways with me and I said, yeah, that guy, he meant he messed me over. I mean, I'm an, I, you, you wait. I'll get even with him. What did I just do? I stepped out of love. I just stepped out of love. When I stepped out of love, then a demon comes against me and I said, you foul spirit of hell, come out of her in the name of Jesus. And he said, <laughs> I'm laughing at you, boy. What do you mean you're laughing at me? I ain't going to tell you what your problem is. You're going to have to find it. And I said, Lord, where did I mess up? And the Holy Spirit says, you remember that contractor last week that you said all them evil things about? You stepped out of love. Oh, Lord. but Son, you want to walk in faith again? Yes, Lord. Okay, go find him. Tell him you're sorry. But, Lord, he deserved what I... It's your choice, son. Okay, so I go back and say, Sir, I'm sorry I blowed up at you last week. Will you please forgive me? And the guy says, No, I ain't going to forgive you. I said, Okay, but I want to know, I want you to know I love you anyway. Now, what have I done for my part? I've done mine. Now, he's got a problem, but I've solved mine. I'm now walking back in a love relationship. And if I'm in a love relationship with a king and I'm not speaking evil about anybody and I'm walking in perfect love, now my faith will work. When I walk up to somebody that's got a demon, that's why he says that love is the most important. That is greater even than faith. Because if you don't have love, you're nothing. How hard is it to walk in love all the time, Tommy, to all people? Oh. Kind of hard, isn't it? Wow kind of difficult for Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision but faith which worketh by love Galatians 5 6 that's just a different translation pretty clear isn't it Mm. nothing availeth anything but faith which worketh by love then second your faith will not work without hope You have to hope for something before your faith can give substance to it, so faith is also dependent on hope. Let's go to Hebrews 11.1. When you go to Hebrews 11.1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So you you have to understand all of the Word to make it work for you. You see, if you don't have hope for something, your faith can't work because it has no goal or no object to believe God for. Therefore, faith can't work without hope. Also, faith is dependent on love in order to work. That's why the Bible says that love is greater than hope or faith in 1 Corinthians thirteen thirteen. So which is the greatest of all these three commands? Love. And then you have to have faith. Now then... Let's go up just a few verses in 1 Corinthians 13. Let's go to verse 1. Let's read a little bit from there. This is awesome what love is. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, you have not love, I am nothing. So, why is it important to have love? That's pretty clear, isn't it? I mean, most of us, I don't think, ever looked at it like that. Why do you think the devil is so wanting you to get out of a love relationship with anybody? Once you get out of a love relationship with anybody, I don't care who it is and what they've done to you, when you step out of that love relationship with them and you hold a grudge against somebody, what have you just done? Open the sin door wide open. And guess who's going to come into your house? The devil. A demon is going to come into your house. In fact, did you know that the scripture is so clear in Matthew eighteen, twenty one through thirty five, that if you don't forgive everybody from your heart, the Lord Himself says, I will send a tormenting spirit to torment you, and you will not get out until you pay me every penny you owe me. In other words, if he was to take every sin I've committed all the way back to my beginning and he was to say, okay, because Thurman, because you're holding an unforgiveness for this man or this woman, neither will I forgive you for your past sins, guess how long it's going to take, Thurman, to pay the price for all of my sins. For I can't live long enough. That's right. There ain't no way. That's why Jesus had to come. So, now, that's, most people don't believe God will do that to you. But he says He will. He clearly says He will. He will turn you over to the tormenting spirits. And you will be tormented day and night, and you will not get out till you pay Him the last penny. Verse 35, He says, And Peter, this is the way my Heavenly Father will do each one of you if you will not forgive everybody from your heart. Everybody. But Lord, you don't understand what my ex-wife did to me. Lord, you don't understand what this guy did to me. He cheated me out of $10,000. Lord says, I don't care. That's not my problem. But if you don't forgive him from your heart, I'll turn you over to the tormenting spirit. You know the reason he does that? You know why he's got such a short fuse on unforgiveness? Because, boy, he paid a terrible price for you and me on that cross. And he went to a terrible place in hell in Psalms 88 for you and me. And he was tormented three days and nights with the demons of hell and his human spirit. And he paid the total price for you for your sin for your sickness, for your disease, and, and and to give you prosperity, for your poverty. He took all of them things upon Himself so that nobody in His body needs to be sick, afflicted, or poor anymore. He did all those things for you. And then how many of us go out as born-again Christians, go to church a little while, get a good job, start making lots of money, and all of a sudden... Like this boy the other day told me, he said, Thurman, I work 12, 14 hours a day, I ain't got time to go to church. And he wondered why his world's falling apart. I can tell you, he's not putting God first. And then I don't know how many people do it. Just like Ed Brock, the question Ed Brock asked, that's, that's a man who had the terminal cancer 14 years ago that was given up to die when we prayed over him and anointed him with oil, according to James 5, 14. He later came to the Lord and said, Lord, Why me? Now, how many of us ask that question when sickness and disease comes upon us, Lord, why me? You know what the Lord showed him? He told him, he showed him, and when he asked that question, he sat down and he opened his Bible and he opened it up and it opened to Psalms 106. And I'm trying to think what verse it was. And I think it was when he got down to... Well, one of the things that happened here in this Scripture, I believe these were the two verses. I don't remember exactly what verse it was, but one of these verses in this Scripture, in Psalm 106, maybe, in verse 15 it says, and verse 14 says, but they lusted... Verse 13 says, "...they soon forgot his works, they waited not for his counsel but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness unto their soul. Now, in one of the translations, that verse 15, I don't remember which one it was, whether it's a Living Bible or the, uh, new, the NIV or whatever, one of them says, And because you have forgot who I am, I have sent a wasting disease to destroy you. And that's the translation he read that night and he said boy did that speak to me and he said then I realized and I said Lord I go to church every Sunday I tithe every Sunday but when I come home from church Sunday afternoon I lay my Bible down and I never think about you till the next Sunday morning when I get up to go to church and why did that wasting disease come upon him? Because he had forgot all of God's promises. Most people say, My Lance, Ed was a great man of God. He was in church every time the door was opened. But see, God knows everything. So behind the scenes, Ed was not serving the Lord. But whenever he repented and changed his ways. Now then, here's this scene again in heaven. We anointed Him with oil. All of us did. We came into the Holy of Holies that night. And we come in with our brother Jesus. And we, I didn't even realize then what I was doing. This is my first case of divine healing 14 years ago. When I didn't realize, I just walked into the Holy of Holies and Jesus was there. And I'm asking the Father in the name of Jesus to heal this man on behalf of this Scripture in James 5.14. And I couldn't see this scenario then like I do today. When Jesus said... When the judge said, Well, attorney, what do you think? He said, Well, Lord, exactly what they're coming. They're coming to you by faith. All right. Although it's very little. They don't have much. But they are standing on your word. They're doing this. And Ed, sure enough, he's been in church every Sunday. And he has tithe. But it's true that he didn't think about you from Sunday till Sunday. He was out in his business. And he was just going wild, making money, and having a good time. And it opened a door to the devil because you clearly said in your word, if you don't worship me joyfully, I will send a plague upon you. So, Lord, you sent a plague upon him. He's opened the door himself because he's been disobedient to your word. And the devil saw that open door, so he ran in. But, Lord, but, Father, yes, he is a good boy. These men did come in faith and they did pray and they did do everything your word says. And the Lord says, fine. Then I will forgive the sin and I will heal his body but we'll let it take six months for it to come to pass. And that way he will know that I mean business. People say, God would not do me like that. Hey, you didn't read the story about Marian. When Moses' sister came in and said, Who do you think you are? Who do You think that God only talks to you? And what did God do to her? I remember, but it wasn't He struck her immediately with leprosy. And immediately she became leprous. And Moses said, Oh, Father, forgive her. Forgive her. And the Lord says, Okay, because you have asked Me. See, we didn't have Jesus then. Moses had to intercede. And He did it in the flesh. But God heard. And He said, Okay, Moses, because you have asked. But... Send her out in the desert for seven days and let her suffer a while. And after seven days, tell her to come back in and I'll heal her. Does he sound like a good daddy? See, we don't think about it like that, do we? In other words, have you ever sinned as a child and your dad says, Okay, son, you messed up. Oh, but dad, I repent. I won't ever do that again. He said, Okay, but you don't get to drive for two weeks. After the two weeks, come back, son. If you continue to be a good boy for that two weeks, I'll I'll give you keys back to your car. Any of y'all ever done that? That's true. See? And if we're smart enough to do that, don't you think God will do the same thing to us? Sure He will. But now, what do we do in the meantime when we're trying to get healed? Whenever we pray and we don't see anything happening, we don't know it's His will to heal us. So we immediately say, oh, well, I guess it wasn't His will to heal me. So then there's doubt. And what have you just done? You lost your miracle. It's past. It's over. You're going to be sick the rest of your life. The devil's there laughing at you saying, I got you right where I want you. But if you are walking in obedience and you cast that devil out and you start saying, going and saying, Lord, I want to thank you and praise you because I'm healed because your word promised. I'm walking in love, Lord. I'm loving everybody and I'm not holding any grudges against nobody for nothing. And he says, all right, all right, all right. I see you. I'm the judge. Let me give you six months. Let's see if you're going to keep it up. Let I me mean, see if you're going to keep it up. You're going to keep coming to church. You're going to keep tithing. You're going to keep walking in love. Or you're going to do this for 30 days and you're going to say, this blankety blank stuff don't work. I'm going back to do what I always did. And he said, that's okay. It's your choice. But you're going to suffer the rest of your life when you do that. And, perhaps, or your life ain't going to be very long either. But you see what I'm telling you? Yes, sir. God is awesome. I'm sorry. Who uh,
3: was that you said? Moses. Mary. Uh... Yeah, Marion.
0: Yes. yes, that was uh, that was uh, Mary and Moses' sister that's over there in uh, the Old Testament, and some of you all read that story, right? You know, who would think God would do you like that? Hey, you need to take pictures of this. This thing is a this whole book is an owner's manual, and you want to know what God's like? Read this book. He ain't never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's only one difference today. We have an attorney today they can go in and plead your case. Thank God for Jesus. That's all I can say. Thank God for Jesus because today when you confess your sins, healing is yours because with His stripes you were healed. If He bore your sins and He bore your sickness and bore your disease upon the cross and removed them, it's a done deal. So walk holy before the King. Walk in a love relationship and continuously Continually stay in faith believing that you are healed and when you come against the devil. Now, let me ask this question. How many of you that have had a sickness and disease that went to the doctor realized that you'd sinned against God? Do you realize you have?
2: I mean, particularly after today.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean... So, how, how do you get forgiveness for that? Ask. When you ask the Father, I realize I made a mistake. I, instead of allowing you to be my great physician, I allowed the doctor to be my great physician, and I shouldn't have done that. When you hear this kind of teaching, you know what most people will say about you? You're crazy. You're crazy, crazy, Thurman. Well, let me tell you what. I don't know many people today on this earth that I've had come in contact I don't know many people have seen more people healed than I have now then if you see that many people's lives changed and that many people healed some of what I'm telling you has got to be exactly what's written in this book and of course several times the Lord has spoken directly to me and if you're willing to change and to walk holy before the king because I'm going to tell you disobedience will bring sin I mean bring suffering I'm telling you, folks, I don't care how you lay it out. You can't be a church member and live out of wedlock with a woman or a man and expect God to bless you. I guarantee you're going to be sick. Sooner or later, it's going to come to your house because you're not walking in a love relationship. Now then, let's say, just like Chuck over here, my other nephew, here a couple of years ago, he was going to start his own business. He had been working for a man for many years. And I told him, I said, Chuck, I know this man that you're working for, and the day you tell him you're going to leave, he's going to fire you. I said, he's going to do everything in his power, although you're the head man at his place, he's going to do everything in his power to stop you. He's probably going to sue you. He's going to do everything. And I said, the most important thing you have to learn right now is you must remember to never speak evil about that man and never to hold a grudge and always to walk in love. And every time that man says something evil about you, say something good about him. I said, if you don't, I guarantee your business will fail. I said, that's the way the devil does business. But I said, if you will return everything that's evil, he sends you with a good and a blessing. I said, I guarantee your business will flourish and it will become greater than you can imagine. And what's happened to your business, Chuck? Doing very well. Doing very well. But did the man come against you? Every way in the world. Did he ever speak evil about that man? No, he listened to what his old uncle told him. Because I showed it to him in the Word. The Lord clearly said, Do not return evil for evil, but a blessing so that you may inherit a blessing. To those in, oh, he said over there in 1 Peter chapter 3, he says, To anyone that would have a long life and see good days, must keep your tongue from speaking evil about others. You want to have a long life and see good days? Then control your tongue. Walk in love. Now, is love important? Hey. I mean, it's the, it's the top. If you don't walk in love, guess what you can't get from God? Why do so many people pray and don't see a miracle? Why do so many churches come down and if they bring somebody down and they pray for your healing and there ain't nobody in the bunch walking in love or in faith and nothing happens in that church and you wonder why? So
1: what is the verse on uh, return, you know, don't return evil, for evil but return
0: uh, anybody know what it is? Ricky probably got that memorized. Uh, I, I ought to know, but I don't. He, we'll find it in just a minute. I don't know what it is. But uh, I keep saying every time I come down here, I'm going to bring my laptop and set it right up here. And that way I can find those things right quick. But uh, I have not done that yet.
2: Uh, there's somewhere where the Lord says, Vengeance is mine. In, in Sayeth uh, the Lord. I'll, that's in James. That's in James? Yes. Okay. And the question that I have is that in the past with people that have hurt me or or offended me or whatever, um, I just had to pray for them and ask God to bless them. And every time I thought an evil thought about them, I just kept praying for them. Because to forgive from the heart, I I didn't have the power or somehow didn't know how to just forgive that person from the heart. And there's a couple of people I'm having to pray for a lot. And asking God to bless their socks off.
1: No, and, you, and that's the way to do it. Do
2: you agree that's, yes, that's sir? okay way? Yes, sir. Okay. In other words, to forgive
0: to forgive, is merely an act of your will. All you have to do is say, Father, you said in your word I must forgive this person, so I forgive them. And it don't matter what they do. And You tell them, so I want to tell you I forgive you and I promise to love you from this day forth. And if the guy walks up to you on the sidewalk, you know, you don't come to him, you hold his hand and say, Brother, how are you doing this morning? He may just walk off. He does, that's okay. But, you know, don't you do that. You walk in love. Because as you walk in love, then you give no place to the enemy. See, no place. Because as he's saying here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he tells us, just look at these above verses. We are nothing without love, regardless of the gifts of the Spirit we may have you can see why the god kind of love is so important that's why the bible says love is greater than faith or hope also the lord said this is how others will know you are my disciples because john 13:35 says by this all men shall know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another john 13:35 so how should we be known as people that walk in love I mean, gee, I mean, if you want to really walk in love, or you really want to walk in power, I should say, you must love everybody all the time for everything. Now, is that easy? No, it's really hard. That's really right. It really Because people will say things to you. They will do things to you. And I'm telling you, it's just as hard on me as it is anybody else. But it's getting easier for me all the time. I'm learning. But, I mean, I, I put 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 7 on the door of my office. And I read that every day when I go in. I have to do that to remind me. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Or, excuse me, 4 through 7. I mean, 1, 1 uh, 2, and 3, we just read. Right now, we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. It's what we're actually the first line of 8. But I want you to listen to this, and you may read it in a different translation, because the NIV has got a little bit easier to read way to do this, and the Living Bible is even a little easier to read. But I'm going to read this to you out of the King James. Now, this is what God's kind of love is. Now, He tells us clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, starting, listen, Charity, or love, the God kind of love, suffers long and is kind "'Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not, or bo- is not boastful, it does not boast itself, is not puffed up, love does not behave itself unseemly, it seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, it thinks no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, it bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things. It endures all things. Charity or love never fails. Now, what does that mean? Your wife comes in this morning and she says, Oh, honey, I burned the eggs this morning. She said, What do you mean? Can't you do nothing right? Now, she may have done everything else right for a month and she burned... The biscuits, or burned the eggs, or something, and you blew up. Is that love? No. I don't think so. I know none of y'all ever done that besides me. None of you, right? <laughs> y'all lied too. I can see. Everybody has done those dumb things. The devil will see to it that you make those little mistakes. Why? You ever thought, to, ever stop to think, sometimes why some little something that seems so insignificant? Your wife, back in the days when we used to have one mirror and one little cabinet and we used the same uh, toothpaste and all and she squeezed it in the bottom and I squeezed it in the middle and you ever stop to think, why do you do this? What? Who cares? Why is that important? But well, do we get in arguments over that?
3: Those are the things people get in arguments over, little things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, eventually it will be a big thing because it yeah. was
0: led. Guess who it is that's stirring those things up? The enemy. So who cares where you squeeze the toothpaste? You know, but guess what? When those thoughts come to your mind and you come under attack from that devil, guess what you're going to have to do now? You're going to have to capture that thought when the devil says, Oh, I mean your wife. or Not, not necessarily just wife, but say somebody, a business associate or anything. He's cheating you. I mean, just a little bitty thought comes into your mind. The devil says, you know, you need to watch so-and-so. That guy he works with, he's cheating you. And so you think, well, I reckon he really is. wonder where that thought comes from. Sure, the devil. He's trying to stir up a problem, isn't he? And he, he does good work.
3: Well, I'm going to tell you what. He's got the biggest
0: mixer in the world. I guarantee you. That's right. Because he's got all this herd of demons that's running around that comes into your mind. And that's where the battleground's at right there. And what kind of fun you think I could have in your house if I could just walk into your house through a wall and I was invisible and I couldn't even attack your mind? What kind of fun do you think I could have in your house? If you couldn't attack the mind? I mean, not me. I mean, but what what could I do? If I couldn't attack your mind, I could walk into your house. I could knock things off. I could do things that you wonder what what's going on here? What's happening in my house? You know. You come over and, and you just walk in and, and, and you're married and, and you walk in and you just clean the sink all up and, and I know, boy, after helping you move the other night, I know you're a, a spotless type of woman. She wants everything perfect. I mean she had stuff on the floor. I wouldn't even let me roll a dolly across the floor without putting a plastic over it first. I know I just know what this woman's like, just a little bit. Just me and my son helped her move the other night. I can imagine that if she if she was married and she had a husband and I was invisible. I could come into their house, and she just got through cleaning the sink and everything spotless. She walked off, and I walked up her, and the husband come up and got a glass of water and done something, and I spilled a bunch of stuff on it and, and left it like that. And he walked by me. And she come and said, "What did you do in this sink? Do you know I just cleaned this thing up? Could I have fun in your house?
1: You could try."
0: But you see, you see what I'm saying. Sure. But the devil. He can not only come into your house invisible and walk in. In fact, he'll be walking down the street one day, a couple of demons, and the devil says, why don't you stop in Thurman's house there and stir up a little problem. And he says, you've got to be kidding We ain't stopping in that house. We get cast out of that house. Well, there's old John Doe right down the street. Oh, yeah, we go over here. He don't ever study the Word. We'll have lots of fun in his house. So two or three demons walks in. And in a few minutes, they got the family against each other. They've got knockdown dragouts going on in the house, and they got unloved things going on and all kinds of stuff. And then the devil, out of a love relationship, and they've opened the doors wide open. The sign says vacancies are flashing all over the place. And the devil said, "Boy, we got a place we can live right here. Let's just slip inside of these bodies. They're already in anger with demon of anger. Just slip right in there and grab a hold of him." The Lord, did you read word? the Lord said, "Don't even go to bed angry at night, lest you give place to the devil." Mm-hmm. Why do you think He put that in there?
1: <laughs> so you wouldn't.
0: So you wouldn't. But do we believe it? Why do you think He told us to walk in love? So we give no place to the devil, right? Now you want to walk healed. You want to walk free. You got to walk in love. How hard is it to do what those four verses say? And what do you think about that? Very hard. Love, the God kind of love, it suffers long and is kind. Anybody have a different translation than me? And let me read that. Let me read the NIV on that one. Love verse 4. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Wow! Pretty hard to do, isn't it? You keep hearing where he says it always does that. So if you're not doing that always, guess what? You're not walking in the God kind of love. You mean, Lord, that guy, I, I, I got to forgive him for what he said. Yeah. If you want me to do anything for you, you're going to have to. Now, does it pay good dividends to walk in love and don't speak evil about nobody, Chuck? Yes. I'm going to guarantee you. There's a young man right there. That he believed everything his uncle told him, and that little business him and his friend started is—I don't know y'all, how many guys y'all got working for you now, three or four or five. Yeah. See, they're just going great, staying busy. You know how—you know how many small companies that start out like that that fail in the first six months to a year? Ninety percent of the businesses. That's right. In fact, there's even some great big ones like Legend Airlines. Mm-hmm. How long they have been in business? six months and already bankrupt. Now then, those men that are running that company need to talk to me. Mm -hmm. I could tell them how to make that company go. But do you think those men running that company opens that company with prayer every morning? Probably not. Because if they did, and they was doing what this book says, that thing wouldn't have failed. I guarantee it wouldn't. Would it Ann? You can't walk in love and do what God says and fail. It don't work. When you do what He says, it always works. Because He said love right there. How many times does love fail? Yeah. Never. Never. It's the strongest thing in the world. It never fails. Well,
3: right, right after that it says, where there are promises they will cease, where there are times they will be filled, and where there is knowledge it will pass away. So we'll talk about that. that. Right, right after
0: love never fails. Yeah, all those things. Let me turn over there where I can read that. 1 Corinthians 13. The love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they shall fail. Where there be tongues, they shall cease. Where there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part now, but we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. So when Jesus comes, we won't need the gift of prophecy. We won't need the gift of tongues. We won't need all these other gifts of the Spirit. We will be with Him, and there will be no more evil. So once Satan is totally put underfoot, once the 6,000-year lease on the earth expires, that's what we're waiting for. Well, that's, we know it's near, Anne. We don't know for sure due to the calendars, We don't know exactly which calendar they'll use, but we know very clearly that we're rapidly approaching the end of the 6,000-year lease that was given to man. Now, the earth lease was given to man, and God was very wise in giving it to man because when He gave man the earth for 6,000 years, He said, It's yours. It's a gift. Take dominion over it. Control it. It's yours. I have made you... Psalms 82.6 He said, I have made you the gods of this earth. It's yours. Take dominion over it. He gave it to us as a bona fide grant. We are now to take God's word and speak what we want into existence and to control everything on this earth by the spoken word of God. But guess who wanted to be the God of this world? The devil. Satan. And he came and he cheated us out of it. We gave it away. And he became the legal God of this world for the next 6,000 years there's no such thing as casting out demons for the first 4,000 years you ever stop to think of what uh, Solomon said whenever he said that in, when we sin into the Old Testament the there's power on the side of the enemy did you know they didn't have Jesus do you know there's never a case of a demon being cast out in the Old Testament not one they had no power they were under the control of the devil the scriptures clearly teaches that. So when Jesus came 2,000 years ago, I used to wonder when I'd read the Scriptures, when Jesus came fully man, but yet fully God, with no sin in Him, the first time He walked into that, sat with that synagogue and said, I am anointed with the Holy Ghost and power to heal the sick, to preach the deliverance to the captive. And a demon jumped up and said, We know who you are. You're the Son of God. And why in the world would a demon witness for Jesus. You ever think about that? What he's trying to say is, I know who you are. I'm a demon. That lease is ours. We've got this earth. Our master is Satan. He owns this earth. We own these people. And you don't have no legal right to be here because you're God. And Jesus said, Shut up and come out of him. And that demon didn't understand why he had to obey, but he had to come out. Because, see, he is the only man so far that has come to earth since Adam was here, that has no sin. That's why He had to become a man. Because the earth was given to man. Only man can touch the earth. And when Jesus was walking under the full anointing of the Holy Spirit, He went through telling us all these prophecies that Isaiah said, that He come to deliver the captives, to heal the brokenhearted, to heal the sick, and all those things. And He began to walk through this earth and anybody that come to Him, anybody, He forgave their sins and healed their diseases. And there's not one case in the Word of God where he didn't heal anybody that come to him and believed. Now, in Mark chapter 6, as we read a while ago, when you come to him with unbelief in your heart, even Jesus couldn't get them healed. Now, if Jesus couldn't get them healed when they don't believe, if you go into a church and you don't do any teaching, and you say, I I come here as an evangelist, and I want to get everybody healed in this place, I want you all to come down here, and I'm going to lay hands on you all and pray for you all, and Jesus is going to heal every one of you and about half of them say well I don't believe this crazy guy I'm just going to go home anyway and the other half's going to say well maybe let's go see if it's a work and guess what happens when I go from there nobody got nothing but if I go there and I teach you for hours like I did in Phoenix the other day four hours I taught on Saturday three hours I taught on Sunday seven hours I taught in that church in two days and at the end of that seventh hour I had a man come up there he said I've got carpal tunnel I can't hardly close my hand I said let me have it. I said in the name of Jesus I command that tunnel to open. I command your arteries and blood vessels and everything to be normal in the name of Jesus. I said now brother turn your hand over Jesus has healed you and squeeze it and you turned it over squeeze it and it was instantly totally healed right before their very eyes. Now then do you have to believe he can do that for he'll do that Tommy? Sure. If you don't believe he can't do that, he won't never do it. But who does the healing on the earth today? Jesus. But who does He do it through? Man, us. If we don't do it, stop and think what happened to Jesus. When Jesus had died, now He healed the sick, He cast out the demons, He cleansed the lepers, and He raised the dead. And He empowered us to do the same thing. And then once He died, and went to hell and arose on the third day, how many times in those next 40 days as He walked on the earth, how many times do you know that's recorded in the Word of God where he cast out one demon or healed one sick person? How many? None. Why? He's now God. I mean, if he did all this in the flesh, why don't he just come in and walk into every hospital and say, all of you get up and be healed? Because he don't have legal right here. You ever stop and think about it like that? He's no longer a man. He's God he has taken his divinity back up on him he can walk through a door now yeah he can come in and eat with them he can talk to us he can do anything he wants to but he cannot do one single thing on this earth himself because he's now glorified where is he at now sitting at the right hand of the father in heaven and who did he delegate his power and authority to the church he said i've made you my ambassadors you go out you cast out the demons You heal the sick. You cleanse the lepers. You raise the dead. The other day we was listening in our Sunday school class last Sunday. My wife was telling a story that she heard on television. She said there was a lady that had a car wreck and something, or something, and it had cut her throat. And when she was still, she evidently was alive and she was trying to flag somebody down and a nurse like Jane Nurse stopped and saw this lady bleeding profusely, blood just pumping out of her neck. Said her jugular vein, or whatever you call that thing, in there was cut, just gushing blood out. So this woman reached inside of her throat and pinched that thing shut, and it stopped the blood. This woman began to pray, Lord, help me to hold this artery closed till I can get this woman to a doctor. So somebody else stopped. And they got her loaded and all took her to some town a little ways up. And they said, We can't help her. We're going to have to take her to another place. They went to another place. Before it was all over, before they finally got her to a doctor in a hospital, had the stuff to take care of this woman with her throat cut. This woman had kept praying, Lord, help me to hold this vein closed so this woman don't die. What did the Lord do? He gave her the power to hold the artery closed until she got there Four and a half hours later, this woman had held that artery closed. And when my class said they all gasped, I said, Now let me tell you what, what real faith is.
1: She prayed that it be closed
0: right there. I said, here's what, here's what real faith is. It's when she saw it and she reached in there and grabbed it, she said, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to put this right back up where it goes, and I'm going to turn it loose, and you put it back together and save her life right now. It's done because it's written. I said, That's real faith. And you know what he would have done? See, if a woman had had that kind of faith, he would have done it. He'll meet you right where your faith is. Right where your faith is, because you know what he says in Matthew 9:29. Turn over and read Matthew 9:29 out of your Bible. Turn over there, read that. I want you to see what he said. I want you to see what the scripture says, and maybe it don't say the same thing in your Bible it does in mine. He's opening some blind eyes here in Matthew 9, verse nine twenty nine. What does that say? Then he opened their eyes. Okay. What, what, here, here let, me, let me give you a microphone. You read that out loud.
3: Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith it will be done to you, and their sight was restored. Okay.
0: Now then, I'm not going to ask you what that means to you because it, I might get the wrong answer. I'm going to say, What did that say? Of what? According to whose faith? Your faith. According to your faith be it done unto you. Now then, if you can have faith to believe God, if you, and I'll take Ann back here, since she received a miracle from the Lord, and her, he, her knee, after coming to a couple of healing schools, if she could have faith to go home and speak to her knee, which she had already been scheduled for surgery, and say, Devil, I command you to leave my knee, and I... Thank you, Father, that you healed my knee on the cross two thousand years ago, so I don't have to go to no doctor and get surgery. My knee is healed, and I said, Lord, thank you, and he get up and walks off, and the pain's gone, and she's not had a problem with her knee since. Is that faith? Is that what you've done? Yeah, that's the one she was going to have surgery on, but she didn't have to have the surgery. But now, then, if she hadn't have known that, what would she have had to done? She could have went to the doctor and said, Lord, when I go and the doctors do the surgery, help me that I'll be able to walk again, right? And if you pray in faith, what will he do? He'll meet you right there where your faith is. Now, it depends on where your faith is. According to your faith, Lord, I ask you to help me to hold this woman's vein or artery so she don't bleed to death until I can get her to a doctor. And she prayed that over and over for four and a half hours. And she held on to that artery for four and a half hours and held that blood closed. Did God meet her right where her faith was? Yes. Now then, just like the woman, I know that when her little son drowned in a a swimming pool and they found him and he he was already completely gone, they rushed him down to the hospital and the doctor said, He's gone. And she said, No, I won't receive that. And so they kept working and kept. she said, No, I ain't going to receive it. And so they kept working and finally began to breathe. And at first she said, Lord, thank goodness he's alive. Lord, I just want him back alive. And then she said, No, Lord, I don't want him just back alive. I don't want him to be a vegetable. I want him to be better than he ever was. And, Lord, you made me these promises in your word. So, Lord, I'm standing on your word. I thank you that my son is as good or better than he ever was in the name of Jesus. And the next day, they walked out of that hospital with a totally normal, well, little boy. And will God meet you where your faith is? Did He say He would? Now then, if you don't have any faith for healing, if you don't believe that the Lord can cast a devil out of you, we can cast a devil out of you in the name of our Lord, if you don't believe that He was a healer and He healed you 2,000 years ago, if you don't believe those things, then you don't have that kind of faith. And if you don't have that kind of faith, then guess what you're not going to get from the Lord? You go up to somebody and says, oh, Arsha, I know she's got a problem. You told me to lay hands on her. I'm going to try this, God, and see if you'll do anything. In the name of Jesus, would you heal her, please? You might as well have stayed at home. You see what I'm saying?
1: Do
0: you, you might as well have stayed at home.
3: Do you remember me telling you that in my Bible study, the doctor who is with the hospital said that there was a girl, a 16-year-old girl who was in the hospital and in a special or an institution even I think it was with some all kinds of mental things and alcoholism and addictions and everything else and I told him to take Mark 16 16 through 18 and and lay his hands on her and read that scripture. I asked him this week if he did it. He says he did and I asked him I, and I kept asking, "Well, where is she now?" And finally he answered, "She's at home and doing well." So and he, and, I, and I told him, I said, you know, you need to help tell these people in this class, in this Bible study, about this so that they know. I said, there's too much illness and too much terrible stuff going on in here.
0: When God made us all these promises, I mean, I could sit here for hours and just quote just God's promises to you that would promise you healing and deliverance. And I can do that. In fact, I don't mind telling you the day I went to Corpus Christi, I spent. Five, I took this Bible with me when I got down there with that woman that was sick on her deathbed. And I laid this Bible on the couch beside me. And I started teaching that couple the Word of God at a quarter till eleven. At a quarter till four, five hours later, I had never opened this book. Never. But I, as I went through the Word, I had them with their swords in their hands. And every time I would say, go to a verse, I would have them open it. And they would read it. And as they're reading it, their eyes are falling, and they're speaking it out loud, and they're hearing it in their ears. And Romans 10:17, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing God's Word. So after five hours, guess what that little woman said when I said, have you heard enough of the Word of God to be healed? And here's a woman who's on her deathbed one week left to live not been able to eat a bite of food in three weeks intestines are blocked colon's got huge tumors in it it's cancer coming out her head and she, breasts are totally eat up with cancer and a doctor says she's got one week left on this earth and I said have you heard enough of this word to be healed that woman looked at me and she said tell me, You come over here and cast this demon of hell out of me right now, and I'm going to be healed right now in the name of Jesus. And according to your faith be it done unto you. I went over there and took my bottle of anointing oil. I anointed that woman on the forehead. I said, Satan, in the name of Jesus, you're in trouble here. I said, you know this woman has this uh, uh, faith in her, and I've got it in me, so I bind your power, and I command this demon of cancer to come out of this woman. I command you to go to the pit of hell and stay there in the name of Jesus. I said, Now, Father, I ask you to send the mighty Holy Spirit in there to heal and restore everything. The devil's messed up. I said, Thank you, Lord, for healing her. I said, It's done. Get up. You're healed. And the woman got up and was instantly, totally healed before our very eyes. Went with her husband to take me to the airplane. Walked all the way to the end of the terminal. On the way home that night, stopped and had a fried shrimp dinner. And got up the next morning and everything in her body worked perfect for the first time in months. That's been eight months ago. Woman is perfectly, totally healed right now. Now, according to your faith... Now, if she had said, "Well, but Mr. I'm not sure this will work. Why don't you try this to see?" I might as well have stayed at home. Except a special anointing of the Holy Spirit come upon me. Now, God can do anything He wants to do. He can take His word and take my faith. I've had Him take His word in my faith and heal a lost contractor that didn't even know didn't know the Bible was the Bible. Just my faith. I mean, standing right in the middle of a bunch of men. I've done that. And seen God heal people. Just taking my faith. And He'll do that for you. Now, if you're walking in a love relationship before the King, and you're taking His Word, and you're acting on His Word in bold faith, what kind of faith do you think it takes for a a person, a man, or whatever, to come in to a place of business, and all these men, and you say, good morning, gentlemen, how are you all doing? Praise the Lord. And one of them said, well, I'm, how are you guys feeling? Well, I'm sick. I feel terrible this morning. I'd have to get better to die. I said, are you a born-again Christian? What, 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 what do you mean? I said, you're not. I said, but well, come over here. Jesus loves you anyway, you big lug. Jesus wants to heal you. I said, come over here. Take your hat off. And all these guys are saying, what, what's this crazy guy doing? And he said, what are you going to do? I said, get over here. You want to be healed? Sure I do. I said, get over here. So he comes over. I said, take your hat off. Or he up laid my hand and said, Father... I know you love this big lug. I know he's six foot six, weighs 230 pounds, but he's your kid and you love him anyway. I know the devil's cheated from him, but I ask you in the name of Jesus to heal this big lug. And I thank you because it's written. You told me to lay my hands on him, you'd heal him. I said, it's done because it's written. In Mark chapter 16, verse 18, I said, Thank you, Lord, for healing him. And the Lord reached down to heaven and healed that man. But when he left that job, he walked in my office that last day and he said, Mr. Scrivener, I ain't never been on a job like this one.
1: <laughs> But that's a
0: shame, you know what? You know what all of us ought to be doing? When you come in contact with people, in three minutes they ought to know you're a born again Christian filled with the Holy Spirit and on fire for the King. Now, if you want to see Him do miracles for you, that's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to believe this word, and you're going to have to believe it's done. Do you see how important it is to walk in love? Now if you walk in love, it is God's will to heal every person every time. I mean no exceptions. So if you have your sins confessed, you're not holding any grudges against anybody, you're walking in a love relationship to all people all the time, then you're in a and you've repented, you are in a perfect place to come to the Lord for prayer, and we bind the spirits that are tormenting you and cast the demon out, and speak the healing power of Jesus in you, and He will heal you, and He will totally change your life. Now, if you're not willing to repent, don't waste your time coming up here. Because you ain't going to get nothing from the King. Guess who's the healer? Not me. But He uses me. And He'll use you. But if you will repent, He will heal you. He will change your life. But you're going to have to repent and change your way. And here's the thing. When I pray for you this afternoon those of you that need healing. You do not ever go by feelings. You have to go by what is written and begin to thank the Lord and praise Him. And then when the enemy comes back for a little counterattack, what are you going to have to do? You take authority over him in the name of Jesus and kick him out and say, Satan, what is it you don't understand about it It is written? Jesus healed me on the cross 2,000 years ago and He gave me power over you So if He gave me power over you, I'm not going to sin no more. I'm going to walk holy before the King, and I'm going to walk in a love relationship, and you ain't never going to touch me again, and I'm going to walk in total health the rest of my life. And one of those testimonies on that tape back there is about a 69-year-old man that just a year ago the devil had beat up on, and he was near ready to do everything, commit suicide and everything else. But today that man's walking in divine health, 69 years old because only difference was he heard the word. I spent two hours on the phone with him that night, and then I've been out there twice to Phoenix and teach in their church, and that man is walking in divine health, along with a lot of other people. Which tape is that? The one on the testimonies. Yes, sir. Yep, we've got a tape back there. The title of it is Testimonies. There is uh, six different people on there. In fact, Jane and uh, Fred's on that last part of that tape. Talking about their, their miracle that uh, Jane received. Uh, yes, sir? Wait, wait, just a minute. Let me pass this back there. Pass that back to her, and let, let's put that on the tape because I can't hear it on the tape if you don't talk in the mic.
3: Thurman, when someone has wronged you and you have a lot of bitterness in your heart for that person, do you how, like how many times does it take sitting down and talking to God to ask Him to change your heart? I mean, does it take a long time, one time?
0: Well, I think that you should be able to get that done. One you know, yeah, I mean, I think you ought to sit down and take the word and say, Lord, I realize now where I've messed up, mm-hmm. and, and I, although I have bitterness toward this man mm-hmm. or this woman or whatever, I realize now that if I don't forgive them from my heart, it's going to open the door to the tormenting spirits to come in and destroy my life. And mm-hmm. so I don't want that. So I'm going to forgive this person. And I want to walk in a love relationship. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to help me to do that. So that when I look at this man or this woman or whatever in the aisle, I will not feel any resentment, but I will feel love and compassion for them. Now, Lord, one thing I want to do, I'm going to tell you right off the bat that I know now that it wasn't him or her that was causing the problem. That's it was a demon in him or her. And, Lord, you told me to hate evil, so I'm going to say I hate her demons. There mm-hmm. ain't nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But you can do that behind the scenes. You say, Lord, I guarantee that demon that's in this man or in this woman that's been afflicting afflicted tormenting me, and tor- I hate you, devil, and I command you to get your filthy hands off of that man or that woman in the name of Jesus. Now, you can do that. You can drive that demon out of that person. Mm-hmm. You, if you're walking in love, now, if you're not walking in love, don't even think about coming to the, and try to cast out a demon. If you're walking over here just a little bit on the dark side, don't try to take authority over the devil. You can't kick the devil out if you're walking over in his territory. If he's got legal right to you, he's going to laugh at you. But if you're walking in a love relationship toward all people with all your sins confessed, walking in obedience to God's Word, then you have great power with God. Mm-hmm. And so by doing that, He will anoint you with the Holy Spirit and power, and there will be nothing impossible with you. Okay. Thank in, you. in Mark nine twenty three. In fact, you know, it's amazing that people, we go through life saying we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't. But if you go to Mark chapter 9, verse 23, you'll have to understand that Jesus clearly said, whenever he brought, the, the man brought the little boy to him that had the demon, and he said, Lord, if you can do anything, will you please cast out this demon? Because your disciples couldn't cast him out. Although they're anointed, divinely appointed with the Holy Ghost and power to cast out this demon, I brought him to them and they couldn't do it. And whenever the Lord looked at his boys, he wasn't too nice to them. He looked at his boys and he said, I wonder, he'd probably say this to me and you today, Tommy. So I'll use me and you as an example. He says, you wicked and you perverse generation, how long am I going to have to be with you? In other words, why couldn't you cast that demon out? Didn't I anoint you with the Holy Ghost and power and divinely appoint you to do that? Yes, Lord, you did. He said, then why didn't you do it? Well, Lord, we tried. That's what's wrong. You tried. You didn't do it. He's bring that boy to me, and the, the man says, Lord, if you can help me, if you can help me do something. He said, What do you mean? If I can do something? If you can believe, nothing shall be impossible with you. Now, who did he put that monkey on? It seems like it always comes back on us. So the saving power is there. The healing power is there. The prosperity is there. Everything's there. But who's, who's going to make it work? Me. I ain't too sure I like that every time. If I can believe, nothing shall be impossible with me. So if Tommy can believe, nothing shall be impossible with Tommy. After he cast that demon out of that little boy and the little boy was healed, the disciples come to him and said, Lord, why could we not cast him out? The Living Bible puts it so clear. He says, because of your tiny faith. Because of your tiny faith. I wonder what he would say to the church today. Boy.
1: Boy.
0: I mean, we don't have no faith, do we? No, we really don't. We really don't. You know what I think it's time we do? I think it's time we take the Word and we begin to ask the Lord to forgive us for all the things we've done wrong and we start walking wholly before the King. We start waking up in the morning worshiping Him. When you wake up, the first thought that comes to your mind should say, Lord, thank you. I love you this morning, Lord. I praise you, Lord, for opening this door to me. Let me read this little thing to you right quick. Jane and Fred gave me this the other day. And I've got a few copies. I don't have many, but I do have a few. This is their original. A love letter from Jesus to you. How are you? I just had to send you this letter to tell you how much I love you and care about you. I saw you yesterday as you were walking with your friends. I waited all day hoping you would walk and talk with me also. As evening drew near, I gave you a sunset so cl- to close your day and a cool breeze to rest you. Then I waited, but you never came. Oh, yes, it hurts me. But I still love you because I am your friend. I saw you fall asleep last night, and I longed to touch your brow. So I spilled moonlight upon your pillow and your face. Again, I waited, wanting to rush down so we could talk. I have so many gifts for you. You awakened late this morning, and you rushed off for the day. My tears were in the rain. Today you look so sad, so alone. It makes my heart ache because I understand. My friends let me down and hurt me many times, but I love you. I try to tell you in the quiet green grass I whisper it in the leaves and the trees And I breathe it in the color of the flowers I shout it to you in the mountain streams And give the birds my love songs to sing I clothe you with warm sunshine And perfume the air My love for you is deeper than the oceans And bigger than the biggest want or need you could ever have I want us to spend eternity together in heaven I know how hard it is on earth I really do know Because I was there And I want to help you My Father wants to help you too. He's that way, you know. Just call me. Ask me. Talk to me. It's your decision. I love you. Your friend. Jesus. Is that beautiful or is that beautiful? That's a love letter from the King to each one of us. He's got all these magnificent gifts. And all it takes is for us to be obedient, to come into His kingdom, to serve Him, to worship Him, to praise Him, to love Him, and to put Him first, just like He said. And then He says in John 15:7, If my words remain in you, and you remain in me, you can ask me anything you want to, and I will do it for you. Now, with all those promises, and I've just quoted just a few today, with all those promises, every time the devil comes upon one of us to make us sick, if we're not walking in obedience to the Word, guess what we always do? We always go to the doctor. And it's not Dr. Jesus. Don't we? Praise God for doctors. If we didn't have them, guess where most of us would be? We'd be dead. That's right. Praise God for them doctors. But was that God's way? No. Nope. God's way was for us to walk by faith. And faith is believing what the Word says. If Jesus said He forgives you, He healed you, He saved you, all those things. He even, do you know He even gives you authority over storms and, and bad weather? Yeah, I know Chuck and Ricky both since I've taught them these things. In fact, Chuck, Chuck it, it's been six or seven or eight years ago the first time that he was at my house and a tornado was coming to our house. And he ran out there and saw this thing and he started hollering, Thurman, what are we going to do? I said, we're not going to do nothing. I said, we're going to stand right here. I said, in the name of Jesus, I command that tornado to dissipate right now, Satan. I bind your power. And what happened, Chuck? It just went away. <laughs> kind of blew him away. But he saw it. Every, I've done that three times in the last eight years, and it blows everybody away that sees it. You know, whenever you when you step out there like my daughter that night, that didn't come down, and I said... Satan, I bind your power. I command that tornado to dissipate now in the name of Jesus. And it just left. And my daughter said, Daddy, what a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> that was no coincidence. Was there, Chuck? If it was the one that Chuck saw that night and the one my daughter saw that night and the one my son-in-law was me and him was in the midst of that night that was tearing buildings down all over the place when I jumped up and screamed, Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, peace be still. And it went from 100 miles an hour to a light breeze and instantly did it, instantly. I asked asked Toby, that's my son-in-law. He was there that night. He was standing right in the middle of that thing with me when it happened. He was tearing up buildings, all kinds of stuff. When it just instantly stopped. Just like that. He said, Thurman, it's like that thing obeyed you. I said, it did, Toby. It did. Now, what kind of faith does it take? I mean, Jesus, guys, you know, his disciples, whenever they were out there on the ship that morning, they got him up and said, Lord, don't you care that we perish? This storm's going to drown us. And he got up and said, peace be still. And you know what he said? He turned and looked at them. He says, where's your faith? What was he trying to tell them? You've got the power. Speak it. You've got the power. Now then, where are you going to limit your faith, folks? You're going to limit your faith to being able to hold that vein for four and a half hours? Or are you going to say, Lord, you're the King of kings, and you can do exceedingly abundantly above anything I can think or imagine. So, Lord, I can think big things. So, in the name of Jesus, put that thing back up there and glue it together and sew it in and let it be totally here right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Turn it loose. Say, it's done. And if you can believe that, that thing might squirt a drop or two or three or four blood. And you say, it's done. It's got to be because i got it. I faith. And the thing just grows right back. Or you walk up to somebody with a bone sticking out of their arm. He said, in the name of Jesus, put that bone back in there and let it grow up. I know a woman that did that one time. Her, her uh, husband and her two sons had a wreck. And she went down there. And somebody had already come by and saw them. One of them had a bone sticking plumb out of his arm. She went down and laid her hands on that thing and rubbed it across her and said, Father, in the name of Jesus, put that bone back in there and heal it up. When they got back, there wasn't even a... Blood, No blood on his arm or nothing. It was totally normal. And the guy said, I saw a bone sticking out of that arm a while ago. She said, Jesus healed it. But do most of us live in that realm? No, we don't live in that realm. We don't even come close to living in that realm. I mean, I'm beginning to get to where I've seen the Lord do so many things. Guess what I believe He can do anymore? Me and you get where we believe He can do anything, right, Tommy? Get closer.